il tuo pene ha una forma strana. I don't have an opening shtick. Hello, my name is Billy Hughes. <laughs> You're listening to the Uncut Gems podcast. A weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number 135 and my name is Jakob. And my name's Randy. <laughs> oh my god, wow. <laughs> uh, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. Okay, so... Yeah, how are you doing, Randy? All right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's just you know, uh, you know. That, okay, you, let's just pretend <laughs> that's this here, okay? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I lost my train of thought. Anyway, so not, it's not only us two here today. <laughs> Am I right, Randy? All right, all right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, what was I saying? I don't know. Anyway, carry on, Jacob. Okay. <laughs> so I shall. <laughs> Uh, I'm so sorry. No, I'm not. Uh, I've got plenty more. Anyway, so oh jeez, uh, today, bet, yeah. <laughs> today, uh, Randy's not with us in spirit. We have Randy board, uh, which is oh. bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so we've got we've got Randy to kind of keep us company because he's on his well-deserved holiday. But I'm not alone in here. I'm joined by my uh, two great friends. Returning voices to the show, we've got, well, I'm going to go with first. I know, like, the, the the prodigal son who hasn't been here for a longer while is going to go gonna go first. We've got Niccolo Grasso in the house. How are you doing, Nick? I'm good, I'm good. I think last time I came on here was also with Jack to talk about uh, some Soderbergh goodness. Yes. You know, yeah. the informative girlfriend experience. So mm-hmm. it's good to be back at, awesome. towards the end of the summer. Yeah, awesome. Good to have you back, you know, because, hey. you know, um, it's always a pleasure. It's always amazing when you have you have the family back together. Okay, like kids come <laughs> back from college, and then speaking of kids coming back from college, is Jack Luke Sharp in the house as well? How are you doing, Jack? I'm doing brilliant. I'm really excited to talk about this. Any excuse to talk movies that have similarities to other movies I like, I'm here, and to talk to it with with you two and with Randy, of course. I'm super oh, yeah. excited to to dig into this. Do you know how Randy is kind of excited? Look at him. Like he's, <laughs> like he's, he can't contain himself. Dear, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear me, honestly. Car, car, bang, oh. fuck, I'm dead. <laughs> well, I'm not even going to question any of these anymore. Um, that's from The Crow. <laughs> I love it. Uh, anyway, so. Uh, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> sure, fine, yeah. Um, so yeah, today we are talking about Mute Witness in conclusion to our porn adjacent uh, porn days of summer. Is this how you is this how you refer to this, Randy? Yes, porn days of <laughs> summer. It is. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, so we're concluding this sort of August explorations of porn ad- or snuff adjacent cinema by talking about Mute Witness. Before we do that, anyway, traditional plug. So last week we talked about um, 8mm, <laughs> that was something. Um, 
but also on our Patreon, in tie in a tie into this, you can hear us talk about Boogie Nights. So get on and do that. Patreon.com slash And also this month, Magic Mike was our pairing for the Soderbreak project. So go and listen to this. And also, I think huh, if I do this, if I do the math correctly, sorry, maths. Okay. If I do the maths correctly, I think next Wednesday, there will be Killings of, Killing of the Chinese Bookie. Is going to make an appearance on our Patreon as the August installment of the John Cassavetes Marathon. So get on and listen to this. And then that's about it for the Patreon. So patreon.com slash uncutdreamspod. That's where you want to go. Three bucks a month. Seven day trial. Go and have a listen. Um, if Yeah, if you don't want to spend money, coffee.com slash uncutdreamspod is where you can spend, spend money once. If you don't spend money, want to spend money at all, just leave us a star rating. Simples. So, and then browse our shizzle, uncutdreamspodcast.com. That's plugging all done. How about we just talk about a uh, mute witness, right? Let's just do that. How about that? Hey. Yeah. Anyway, carry on, Jakob. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's talk about mute witness. Okay. I think we have a little communication gap here. When I said more, I didn't mean trash the fucking set. This, this is not Chekhov. You're not the star, you're just another victim. You get stabbed, you die. I, I want to see the pain. I want to see the blood spurting. Billy, uh, where was the blood? I want to see your bleed to death. Okay? Okay? Let's do it again, folks. Okay, so, Mute Witness was directed, written, and produced by Anthony Waller. It was a 1995 film, and it stars Marina Zudina, Faye Ripley, Evan Richards, Oleg Yankovsky, and a mystery guest star. <laughs> We're going to get to it in a second. That's how he's credited, okay? That's how he's credited at the end. Mystery guest star. It's Alec Guinness. <laughs> um, we, we, we'll touch on it, won't we? Oh, we shall. We, we shall, because it, he's instrumental to how this movie got made. So anyway, so this movie is about this woman called uh, whose name is Billy Hughes, and she's a special effects makeup artist, and she's working on a slasher film that you know, like her friends and, I think, and her sister are shooting in Moscow. And one day she uh, stays behind after uh, after wrapping on the set for the day. She's looking for I don't know some shizzle in a in a box, and she finds that some crew members stayed after hours and they filmed a snuff film where they where they killed a prostitute. So she so she um, witnesses a murder. Oh, did I mention she can't speak as well? So that so that's an important factor in this. And then from there she just tries to evade um, being captured and murdered by people who um, you know make snuff films for a living. That's about that's about it. This is the movie, and actually, I don't have much of a story in terms of how how it came together. The only kind of thing that's more or less interesting, and probably was go- we're going to get to it anyway. This movie started because um, guy who made it, as in like Anthony Waller. So when he was starting his career, he was doing commercials, uh, and he was in Germany in like I want to say mid eighties somewhere doing whatever an awards show. I don't know something, <clears throat> and he ran into Alec Guinness. And he asked him, ah, Alec Guinness, do you want to be in a movie? 
I will be making a movie. Do you want to be in a movie? And he agreed to shoot some scenes for free under the proviso that he wouldn't be credited and he wouldn't have to be paid. So they shot a few scenes for a movie that maybe Anthony Waller thought he would make one day. So he was thinking about having, making a period piece in the 1930s in Detroit or Chicago or something. So they shoot, they shoot a few scenes and this thing kind of gets left behind because it turns out that he doesn't have the money to make a whole movie. So it turns, takes him almost a decade to, to raise enough money to actually make a movie around the scenes that he shot with Alec Guinness <laughs> in the 80s. Um, so, he, he conv- so he convinces himself that he needs to make this movie called Mute Witness that he's going to just set in Chicago. So it's going to be like this sort of prohibition era noir or something. Uh, and then they changed. Then he changes his, his mind because he only can raise like two million dollars, and he realizes he would have to spend like ten to make the movie he wants. So he goes to Russia because everything's cheaper in Russia in 1993 to make this movie. <laughs> he starts shooting. I mean, before he starts shooting, there's a diphtheria epi- epidemic in Russia, so people don't really want to come out to work because apparently you can get a disease. Um, also, there's there's nearly a a coup d'etat in, in, in 1993, like the, the tanks on the street, like the Russia's on brink of civil war and he's just like stuck in Russia just trying to shoot a movie. Um, also, they had to pay off at, apparently at least three criminal organizations. Um, so <laughs> they had their equipment seized by the customs officers. So they had to pay $6,000 bribe and they ended up paying five and four bottles of vodka. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm not kidding. Like this is how this movie came together. Like they actually shot it, wrapped it, and they released it to absolutely zero fanfare. Like this movie was like didn't really get much of a wide release in America. Didn't get really too many eyes on it. However, critics kind of liked it, and Roger Ebert, I think, almost loved it. I think he gave it like three and a half out of four. He really was a champion of this movie. Like some pieces in Variety in New Yorker were kind of also just like, yes, this movie is great. And no one remembered, like no one cared. And this movie just disappeared a little bit. Possibly worth mentioning that, you know, like the, the reason it disappeared was that the man who made it, Anthony Waller, followed it up because he enjoyed this critical success. He followed it up by making an American werewolf in Paris. Oh, wow! Yes. The classic, the classic the favorite sequel. I, yeah, I didn't, exactly. I didn't know that as well, and that's sort of changed a few things for me a little bit. Yeah, so okay, he made well. that movie, and then after that, his career sunk, like <laughs> done. And then, as a result of this, like retroactively, people forgot about the movie he made before, <laughs> even though it was kind of critically well received. So I have a feeling this kind of qualifies for what we do because it's almost just like like a forgotten gem almost. Someone would call it uncut gems? I don't know. Yeah, so am I right, Randy? Hold on. Yes. That's a, that's correct. Yeah, Randy's always right. He was um, just getting his he's just getting his breath back then, wasn't it? <laughs> that's what he was. Yeah. You took a hell of a pause there for some reason, didn't you? <laughs> anyway, carry on, Jakob. Okay. So <laughs> So that brings like us... Like puppeteering a dead corpse. Yeah. <laughs> just feels like the, the empty husk of Randy's body. <laughs> it's like Dead Silence by James Wan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's exactly... You know, introduce yourself. And my name's Randy. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, that brings us to here and now. We're talking about Mute Witness. Boys, what do you think about... Mute Witness, directed, produced, and written by Anthony Waller. I want to go. Who wants to go first? Nick, you go first. Tell us. You, yes. What do you think? Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to go first. Um, 
because you know you, you you were planning this month. I was a little bit busy with, with multiple things. So I was like, you know what, mute witness. Sounds intriguing. Sounds interesting. It's about it's about a movie set, the makeup artist. You have you have a murder. Did it actually happen? Didn't it? Like it was super intriguing, and I started watching it, and I absolutely love the first part of this film. I think the the setup, the build up to the murder, the cat and mouse chase around the studio at night, where this girl is just running away and finding increasingly more more tense ways to kind of hide from these two murderers. I was like, man, this is good stuff. There are a lot of, we'll definitely get into that, but there are a lot of Brian De Palma references visually. Um, so I was into it. I was really digging it. But then it gets to the second half and it slowly started to lose me. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's like comic relief that's just not that funny, in my opinion. Um, there's the aforementioned um, cameo, let's say, by the mystery <laughs> guest, uh, which is just sticks out like a sore thumb. Like it's 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 ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, and I have to say, like full thoughts for the opening. I enjoy the film. I think it's a it's a light watch. Goes by fairly quickly, but I do think that the first half is so strong. Everything that happens afterwards just kind of drags everything down because it feels a bit choppier it gets too convoluted with its narrative mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be that complex it's all of those elements that kind of let it down i think um but i'm glad i watched it you know cool i have a feeling this is gonna be a massive echo chamber reaper creeper sorry jack <laughs> tell us um well, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop you in the shit here anyway because I, I was I have no idea what this film was about. I had no idea what this film existed, and I was sort of uh, goaded into into being in, in this podcast because someone had mentioned to me that it was similar to Brian De Palma. So I was like, well, I'm content. Yeah. So I was like, I must I must seek this out, and, and obviously, any chance to be on here to talk to talk film, I'm, I'm it's very hard for me to to turn it down and, and say no. So I watched this uh, quite a few days ago, so it sunk in with me quite a while, and. Um, I feel very similar to Nick in the sense that because I, I had absolutely no pre preconceived idea what this was about. All I'd know, all I knew is that it had echoes and rhymes and rhythms to De Palma's work. I didn't particularly know where this was going to be set, what it was about. Mute witness the title sort of give me ideas of what this was going to be about, but nothing sort of true to it to its nature. It tells you, ex- it tells you exactly what the <laughs> film is, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no, there's, there's no hiding that, no. But um, I, I, I agree with Nick. The, the, there is something to be, there is something to be said about is that Randy laughing in the background as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like um, it's definitely a film of two, yes, two, <laughs> of two, yes, yes, of two parts. I think the first part is is Brian De Palma through and through. Um, but I, I'm not so against the second half. The one thing that surprised me the most about this is which I quite enjoyed it is that for me, it constantly evolves into something else. And it could be very a, a sort of linear, um, straight-laced A to B thriller um, with just a very interesting um, protagonist. But it was I was quite happy to find out that it constantly evolved itself in narrative. It took us from here to here to here. And it is a very farcical towards the end. There's a bit towards maybe two-thirds through where it becomes like, oh, we're trying to inject comedy here and it's not really working or at least comic relief and and it's so deadpan that opening 45 minutes actually the first hour is incredibly like deadpan it's Mm -hmm. there's no there's nothing going on there aside from this is like deadly serious 
and then the wave is a little bit and then i i get sort of towards the end and i can see what he was trying to do and and and, and especially what he was trying to create and for for the most part um i wouldn't go as far as what ebert did Jakob. i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's mm-hmm. that far ahead but this was a really strong unknown thriller uh, that has bits and pieces that works really well knowing exactly what it was. Um, and I had really, really good fun with this. Mm-hmm. Um, so to talk into detail is going to be quite interesting, but this this did feel like um, a film that perhaps De Palma may have made instead of Raising Cain or just after The Untouchables. Ooh. It feels that era. So it, it, it feels like it's set up to be from someone of that nature. But here... I thought it was really well executed. So throughout, for like what ninety six minutes it is, um, I actually really enjoyed this. Surprisingly, I really enjoyed it, actually. All right. Oh, by the way, a correction. I had to double check. Uh, Ebert gave it three out of four, not three and a half out of four. That's still quite strong, though, <coughs> for for what this essentially is and where it's from. That's mm-hmm. nothing to be necessarily ashamed. Yeah, and for Ebert, yeah, Jacob's um, favorite. Well, I, I, I you know I, I agree with Ebert more than I don't, and sometimes when I don't well, agree with him, I, I was just like, "Wow, Roger." Maybe, maybe you should start saying that on this podcast because every time you do, you damn the man, you damn him, you constantly say, "Well, and Ebert did this." I don't. You, you do. You you do mention quite a lot that you disagree with him. I think more so than agree. I think this may this may be like a I don't know a small sample fallacy, you know. Like one of those things oh, that yeah. just like because we, we talk about these weird movies that just like are kind of usually divisive critically, so we, we tend to maybe just pick movies that maybe on on an on an average Roger would disagree about with me. Um, but I think like if I went to like like his movie his great movies book, I'll probably have, probably I'll probably agree with him more than I don't. I don't know. Course, yeah. Did he also write a book about like the, like don't watch these movies like terrible movies or something like this? I've actually I, I, so. I, 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 my my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife <laughs> I have to mention she bought me that it's, book. In, it's in Mon- the same person, by the yes, way. It yes, it is. It is. Yes, I have to. Cl- I have to just clarify that because she will be listening to this. Right, she right, bought Andy? me that. She, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Randy. She actually bought me that book. All in Missoula. right. All right. All right. Okay, now honestly, she actually bought me that book in Missoula, which is David Lynch's hometown, and I read it. And um, really? yeah, Bizarre. yeah. Yeah, they were <laughs> Twilight Zone, and um, this is a very interesting book because he, he he makes a lot of like it's very rudimentary. Everything that's a piece of shit in it, so it's, it's a piece of shit, really. But yeah, he, uh, he has some very interesting opinions. Mm-hmm. But don't speaking we all... of very interesting opinions, we also have an opinion from beyond the from beyond the world of tomorrow because we have Randy uh, sent a recording because you know, in case you didn't notice, he's not really with us. It's just my soundboard. What? Okay? Anyway, what? Carry on, Jakob. Okay, fine, Randy. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. Okay, so he said, Randy sends his his thoughts about the mood witness. I'm going to play them here. Hi, Jakob. Hi, Niccolo. Really sorry I couldn't be there today to talk about Mute Witness. Uh, Mute Witness is a film I have a long history with. I oh. saw it in 1995 in the local art house cinema, and it sort of blew my mind when I saw it. And I, I watch it every now and then. I have a copy of it in my collection, and it's a film that I go back to every so often. And it's wow. been a few years since I've seen it, but um, in watching it again earlier this week, uh, Again, I look at this film as a small, special marvel. Its first hour is a combination of what I find a very funny uh, making a film 
type of movie. It's it's a comedy about you know making movies, and but then it turns very suddenly into this very tense, tightly wound thriller. It evokes to me uh, De Palma and Hitchcock, and I just am so engrossed in the first hour of this film that it's just one of the most pleasant film watching experiences that I can think of. I can sit down and watch the first hour of this any day, any week. It's just really fun filmmaking and, you know, makes me think of all kinds of great genre uh, filmmaking too. Like I even see a bit of uh, giallo in there to a, to a point. So I really like this. I really like the performance from the lead actress whose name escapes me right now um and i find her sort of history is is sort of uh interesting in that she's you know a russian actress and couldn't speak english but so she's playing uh, a, a mute uh props uh professional on a film set so the fact that she didn't have to speak english sort of worked great um but I find that she's a great protagonist to sort of follow along in this this hunt, this cat and mouse thing that you find yourself in the middle of. So, yeah, I really, really love Mute Witness. It does sort of collapse in on itself. I don't think that Anthony Waller quite knows how to finish off this great masterpiece of a film that he's begun. The last half hour isn't really as smooth or as slick. Um, yeah, it just doesn't really know what to do with, with itself. I think at the same time, it's beholden to this odd little uh, snippet that was shot eight years before the shooting of the rest of the film. This snippet that includes footage with, um, you know, the great Alec Guinness. He shows up here and it feels out of place. It's sort of awkwardly written. The last half is sort of awkwardly written around this Alec Guinness scene. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't land with the strength with which it begins but mute witness really is uh, a fun film i hope you guys had a similar response to it because you know i i really do uh like this film mute witness and i'm surprised we haven't seen more of anthony waller over the years because he sort of jumped onto the scene with mute witness with a, a very special little film released in 1995 one of the best years in cinema so i'll leave it at that i hope you guys have a great conversation about this film and uh yeah Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye. So that was Randy coming to you live from, I want to say like a hotel bathroom or something. So there was a, <laughs> a, a lot of echo in this recording. And my name's Randy. <laughs> uh, uh, now, so <clears throat> might as well just quickly jump in with my thoughts. This hey. is a movie. Yeah, hold on. Yeah. So I remember seeing this movie at least twice from like, I want to say 15 minutes onwards. Because I was, this was a movie I, I think I've seen like a bunch of times, and it was always on TV. And I almost, I think only once, I watched it from start to finish. TV was, way, Jacob. Hmm. Back in, where, where would you watch this on TV in England or in Poland? In Poland. So I was, oh, that was wow, that would okay. be like late nineties, and it would be sort of like a late evening showing. So it would probably start at like nine, nine, nine or ten, right? Oh, so right, you just okay. like. Yeah, and then you just like you flick through channels, and you just and I remember first time I saw it, um, you I flicked through channels, and I noticed there was, and I think I started watching this at the chase scene, uh, and this, and then again, I um, I think once again, I think I started watching this at the uh, bathtub scene, and then the third time, I actually just s- switched channels and it was just right at the murder scene. <laughs> and then wow. and then for the fourth time i think like, year, like it was like early 2000s i watched it from start to finish on tv 
And then, because, and it only goes to show that this is a perfect cable movie. Kind of like, we, like recently we talked about Haywire, I think, in that, in that context. If this movie mm-hmm. comes on TV, you watch it. You finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a perfect TV thriller. And I'm, although I do agree that this movie kind of starts at five stars and just, just <laughs> gradually goes yes. down. Yes. And, but, but not necessarily in a linear way. It doesn't go down like this, you know? It kind of goes down like nothing happens, nothing. It's fine, it's fine. Oh, oh, we're going, sl- oh, oh, we're at four stars now. Oh no, three, two, one. Oh, in credits, <laughs> you know? Okay, it really shits the bed at the end. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah. But, but, you know, like it's it's one of those experiences where you just feel like at the end, you almost feel like you like you, all you lack is the sort of the physical um need to actually go to the bathroom because you really want to finish watching it. <laughs> it's just one of those. Uh, but I, I totally agree. Like, it's a total echo chamber. Like, the first hour of this, maybe, like, first 45 minutes, definitely, is is where it's at. Like, the, it's a movie of two halves. The first half is absolutely fantastic, and then it kind of just takes a turn, and then after it takes a turn, things kind of just not necessarily just hit the floor but they kind of i want to say get out of hand and i think we're going to touch on some of this or at least just, I, mean, I want to touch on all of this but let, let's just begin with the good stuff right because this movie starts kind of like what halloween like blowout blowout yep you can't escape this what do you guys think about this of this movie starts with this sort of like let's just say for those who haven't seen it if you haven't seen this just pause and go and watch this okay I don't know where you're gonna go watch this because it's very it's difficult just to gonna find. Say, you know. But if 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 someone I don't know, in eighty-eight films, one oh one films, Arrow listens to Arrow, this. Arrow, this is this is an arrow waiting to happen, you know, <laughs> yes. fresh interviews with the cast and crew. Very surprising mm-hmm. that actually hasn't happened. And that's yeah. what I was gonna bring this up later, but I'll get there later though. Oh, we shall. Yeah, but then let's just get on get on yeah. with the with the goodies. Because this movie starts like a five star affair, doesn't it? Right? Yeah. What do you guys think yeah. about this sort of the, this is Ant- this is by the way Anthony Waller's debut. This is the f- first his his first encounter with the with theatrical audience, right? Because before that he was doing like commercials and shorts, right? This is how this guy bursts onto the scene. This is this stamp he wants to make, right? What do you guys think about this sort of the opening of this movie and how this kind of progresses from there? Because it starts with this sort of let's just say a chiller sort of stalker uh, slasher movie and then you just, and then you, someone yells cut and then we're on the set and then from there just almost just intrigue starts almost immediately thoughts well, on do this you, do you know i i feel like there's there's a very an easy way to explain the the, uh, the the narrative and formula of this film and and i i see it from a perspective and, and and nick will probably be able to to put more emphasis on this because he's in the midst of this but for me as someone who has has been a a creative type. I I I, I write screenplays in my, in my spare time. I just I find it quite relaxing and rewarding. This to me feels like a writing formula of a writing exercise. If, if, if I have to put it in different perspective, in that if when you go to film schools like that, you 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 essentially write a screenplay towards the end of it, and then you hopefully go to make it. But the principal factor is that you look at other people's screenplays and you take what you like about it, and that's so you create your own um, ideology and. and in your process this to me feels like a um a formula where right write something that uh, you're opening act that something is based on something else um to, to get the, the viewer um and, and and obviously the reader in, in integrated to 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 film getting engaged and then 
then write something else that can unexpectedly happen next and then write something that can unexpectedly happen next and put your characters in those positions and see where you get towards the end. I think this is Waller's process throughout this. I think I think you can tell it's a directorial debut because there's so much enthusiasm mm. into it, but there's also the lack of maturity to know when to stop. Now, that's not necessarily an, a, an, an issue because I quite like that it's constantly engaging, but I've been in those rooms where I've been told that's a structure I should use where you should always keep your characters and yourself um, on, on, a, on, a, on a knife's edge about where they go next, write them in, mm-hmm. write unpredictable stuff. And then when you put that into perspective into the ideology of this film, every time this film gets into a point with its characters where it becomes, it, it feels like there's going to be a predictability into next, the film constantly changes course to a point where it's almost a complete op- opposite where you think the direction's going to go. And to me, it screams um, a type of writing exercise. Now, for me, as I've said, I think that works with this film. For others, I think it's going to scream indecision and it's going to scream issues of being sporadic. I I just think because essentially, because you've got an opening that is framed and situated in calmness, um, conciseness, it's, it's... it's shot in a way that's very restricted, but also in that it crafts that engagement because it's POV. It's very, very held back because he knows what he wants from it. He knows what he wants to reflect. He knows what it wants to, to, um, to engage with and how it wants to be emotive because it, it, it reminisces of, of like the opening to fun house, the Toby Hooper film, Halloween, John Carpenter mm-hmm. specifically blow out with the context of the film. But he, but he the whole uses film the, is kind of like a remake of Blowout in yeah. a way. Yes, yeah, and, and but but he, he particularly uses those motifs in order to elicit the emotion. Then after that, it sort of becomes like, all oh, right, okay, it goes anywhere, and I think it just. It, I can understand why people would sort of perhaps want to watch this and see how it elicits, like, quite slick the opening. It's 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 not particularly new new in in certain terms of. You know, you go back to you know seventy nine and um, oh, seventy eight, then eighty one, then you go back to mm-hmm. seventy four and stuff like that, or, or and, well eighty one with with a blowout as well. You get sort of like that sort of. Funhouse is eighty one as well, right? Yeah, that, there. That's why I mentioned it. And then I think afterwards, you get into the ear of like, right, this is interesting because you get blowout and Funhouse, the the the, the De Palma, Toby Hooper, probably arguably the best, the more restraint of it, more concise. And then you slowly get into sort of the De Palma of the, of the late 70s, sorry, the late 80s, um, well, mid-80s, early 80s, like body double, where it's like, mm-hmm. ah, this is a man who's not perhaps more, it's refined, it's very more refined than this film, which is going to be an issue I'll bring up later on. But it's it's a lot more sporadic in the terms of it's not held back. It's not um, a film that's waiting for you to sort of unleash these things. It's just giving you it at that point. And I think this film mm-hmm. just blows, for lack of a, of a term here, it blows its load, really. That's not, again, mm. I don't think it's a negative, but I think, for, well, there you go. I think for a few all people... All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I just think for a few people, I think that can be sort of like um, uh, a conscious dissonance, really, where you, you're watching something and it just sort of turns its head to be a lot more childish. Again, I don't think that's a negative, but I can understand why people would be like, oh, what the, f- what? The other thing I wanted to ask, right, Nick, did you know about this film before we had this podcast? I had it in my watch list. I don't know how I 
haunted, I've, honestly. <laughs> I, I've, I've never known about this film, ever. And the fact that you've seen this before on TV, Jacob, was like, mm-hmm. that, that's why I asked. So I wondered if but, he'd watched this in the UK. And then the fact that Randy had seen it, or oh, it's one of his favourites, that's bizarre to me because I don't know what, how, how far this would travel. I, I don't think feel like this legs. movie was kind of almost deliberately forgotten because of how much of a crap bag American Werewolf in Paris was. <laughs> just saying. But then like it, it's one of those that you yeah. just it's not like like when when it comes on TV, it's not like the and like some the guy on, on the TV sitting in a chair goes like, and now ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> you're a witness. <laughs> no no. This is this is just like it just comes on. <laughs> Just like, it's like, like 10 p.m. No, yeah. this is it's like this is like, like 125 a.m. Nick, this is not a 10 p.m. show. This is like 125 film for dead dregs. This is what it feels I mean, like. Yeah, because there's quite a lot of nudity in there, right? Doesn't it? Anyway, Nick, I don't think there what, is. I was surprised about that actually. Yeah, Nick, what what do you think about the department? Because you were like raising your hand for at some point. Like, and at this point, I don't remember why. <laughs> so. No, because Jack was saying some people can see that someone being in the size and like that's me. That that's how I see this. I, I I wouldn't say the the first part is like a five star, uh, film for me. I think it's like a, a solid like four star, because Weller lacks the. I don't know if it's the ambition, the skill, or maybe the 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 budget, the will. I don't know what is lacking. It's not he's refined. Lacking something. Is it? It's, it's not completely refined. unrefined. Every single time there's something great. It doesn't go the extra step to actually embrace it and fully go for it. For instance, you know, the opening, blowout, it's a tracking shot. In here, no, he abandons the POV after like one minute or less. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. fine. And then uh, there's so many parts, where, you know, during the chase scene where the Palma would have easily, easily put a split diopter shot. You know, when she's like in the foreground, hiding behind a canister or machine or whatever, and then there's the killer looking for her, like in the in the bottom. The Palma would have used a split diopter shot; would have looked amazing. Would have even fit narratively, thematically, and everything. But in here, it's just you know shallow focus. Mm-hmm. Um, do you the, think it, which, this is which, which is this is? Do you think this is budgetary? That they just didn't have money for budgetary, lenses? but considering like where the movie goes in the second half, I think it's also <laughs> part of really the direction. Yeah, it's also vision as well, isn't it? It's also vision <laughs> yeah, trying to put it on screen and not perhaps having the had yeah, command, but. I know what you mean. Like. I, I think he's afraid, maybe in some way. Maybe he doesn't want to seem like he's aping too much the Palma. Mm-hmm. But you can definitely see the influence, like more so than any other filmmaker. I completely agree. Like the Palma is front and center here, but he doesn't pull it off in a way that's seamless or completely effective, in my opinion. Which is a shame because there's so much str- that's strong in here. Um, I think the way he uses you know, pushings like on, mm-hmm. on, on people's faces and eyes. It does it like two, three times. The first couple of times it's very effective, especially during the murder scene, you know, when the when Billy sees the girl being murdered, mm-hmm. it's like, oh man, just closing in on the eyes, like doom doom doom, triple zoom. Like that's that's good stuff. And that's not a the Palma thing per se. Like that's that's I, I I love what you said earlier, Jack, about this feeling like not like a student film, but kind of, you know, where you're trying mm-hmm. to find your own voice by emulating someone else. It really does feel like that. But the way that it ends up feeling is that he doesn't really have a voice of his own. Mm. Oh, 100%. 100%. Um, he gets so lost in, in almost pastiche that it kind of, yeah, he loses focus. It, it loses everything that's, that's, that's great in, in the second half, especially. But in the first half, just to focus on what's positive, what's good, what's great. 
oh man, like it's it's really well done. Like it's super engaging. This this actually what I was thinking about because I, I talked about it with my parents. Like I was like, this feels like the type of movie wait, you might have wait, seen on TV. Wait, 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 you watched it with your parents? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. Oh, okay. but I talked about it to them, and they were like, I, my, "Like my mom was like, I think I've actually seen this movie. Like, she wasn't one hundred percent sure, but, but yes, yeah, on TV, like in the late nineties, <laughs> exactly. because it's that type yes. of feel. Like it's perfect for TV, uh, but also you kind of feel some of the cheapness of TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way, it's odd. It's it's a theatrical picture, but it feels like a TV movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also weirdly restrained in terms of of violence, which again, is it a budgetary thing? Maybe also TV. Also TV, yeah, easy to cut around. Even all the nudity, it's easy to cut around it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, I was going to say, I, I just to clarify something, because I think you, you echoed it perfectly, Nick. I think narratively it evolves, this film, into a place where like it's constantly engaging, but it never evolves um, cinematically or aesthetically from that opening. So you constantly, you're hooked on, yeah, you're, yeah, you're hooked on something that never sort of has a return. I think that's another issue where it like because you you said about what what, what pastiche where does the De Palma stop and the Wallace start and I think he he has to make the decision to open it and De Palma so I don't know because I haven't seen any of his filmography after watching this I'll probably go seek out the American uh, Werewolf and whatever it's called in Paris, in Paris. yeah I will probably go watch that purely to find what his voice is because here just be careful what you wish for. Oh, I, I wish you wish of many things, darling. Trust me, that'll be one of them. But um, I really, I really don't necessarily see what his his ideology in film is at this point. Because once you go into the the, the pastiche, the, the homage, like De Palma's a great example. De Palma's, you can say, is a rip off of Alfred Hitchcock. That's that, that's too true to degree, but to a point where he made it his own, and he made it to his yes. own with with the violence, the seventies. He sort of was in the era where he could demonstrate that. I think Waller here is stuck in, into an issue of the 90s of not being sort of excessive enough, but also not being restricted enough. And he's just not really in that era where he can do anything, um, partly to the back end of the 90s where we get some really engaging no, cinema. You can, you can do stuff. Like, it's 1995. Like, Pulp Fiction's out. Reservoir Dogs is out. Desperado's out. You, like, you can push the envelope if you that, want to. That, that, that's true, but... You, you want to. <laughs> Even yeah. on, a, on, a, on a shoestring I think, budget. I know? think that's the key. Yes, I think course, it's not yeah, that yeah. he doesn't want to, or he doesn't, uh, or he doesn't have the um, proverbial balls to do it, you know? Because you would probably feel like if you imagine Tarantino doing the same scene, he wouldn't have any 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 qualms about aping the Palma because he feels like this is appropriate. I'm aping the Palma mm-hmm. already. I might as well go all out, you know? And it would and it would work because I feel like Waller is one of those guys. He maybe was afraid people would accuse him of plagiarizing people I completely too much. agree with that. I think that was on the cards, yeah. And I think we're going to get into that. But I also do think, Jacob, as well, is that it's that wonderful na- naivete and that enthusiasm to get this done as to, mm-hmm. to, to know of how good of a degree that first half is. That mm-hmm. opening track, that opening tracking shot, I know, you, Nick, you said it doesn't, it's not for too long. And to be fair, I sort of agree with it. As soon as he gets a chance to get away from it, it does. But I also think that's a confidence thing. I think... You can tell that he's in pre-production. Um, I must, uh, even in rehearsals, that was undoubtedly a plan of we've got to nail this, and that will set mm-hmm. the tone and precedent for everything after. Maybe in his eyes of tone, but never of aesthetic and and, and of, mm-hmm. of quality of, of of image. The composition changes. Everything feels slightly, um, not necessarily mimicking itself, but trying. It's like um, the dog trying to t- chase its tail. 
Mm-hmm. It just it feels like it's, it's it's on this journey that's never gonna never gonna achieve it. But God, but, but, you know, God forbid, he does a particularly good job for a director debut in ninety five, especially with the mm-hmm. budgetary concerns he did in, in the Soviet Union, as well. Well, it was Russia already. Just saying. Well, just sorry. The <laughs> Russian Federation, but then again, he was shooting well. this. In, he was shooting this in 1993, by the way. So it almost from from the point of view when he shot this to when it was released, like you could see this movie was coming together in massive pain. Mm. I mean, it is it is Russia yeah. at this point, but it's still soaking up the element of getting out of that tradition. Isn't oh yeah, it? Like yeah, absolutely. Not I mean, to defend like, myself. It, as someone who grew up in Poland at that time, like you can say, like you know, we had democracy. Like I remember communism just just because like, I think like communism finished in Poland when I was like six, you know. So I have like my recollections of this sort of era was like when I remember like like waking up in the middle of the night because my dad was leaving the house to to go and queue up to get bread and milk at three a.m. Yeah, that's because he had to go and stand in line for three and a half hours to actually get food. Right, so that's that's kind of my recollection of that era, right? Because well, that doesn't, and, and no, no. I didn't even know that you know, like times were tough because I was a kid, so like you know, I suppose, right? But I think like this this permeates like even after things finish, like it takes a decade or even more for for people kind of to normalize a little bit, so you can still feel like this is a, you can you can smell the Soviet in the, in the, in, the, in the air. <laughs> it's interesting you know? we, we we bring this up, right? Because I was going to bring this up later, but it feels like the best time now. I wrote in my notes at the opening. Like, I didn't know anything about this film. To mm-hmm. me, it felt like it was going to be a conscious um, subtextual conversation about the ideological differences uh, of culture differences between uh, American and, and Russian. And, it, and mm-hmm. it's nowhere near that at all, because I think as soon as that, that goes in the window, it's fucking straight out the back door. But I think it's, it's interesting. There. Yeah, because I, I felt that this felt to me a Russian production echoing American sentiments of cinema rather than it actually being an American director happening to shoot this in, in, in Russia, the circumstance of budget. So to me, it was like on the surface, I was, I was questioning quite a lot of things. And granted, you can probably read into the film as, as is and, and try to try, you know, find some uh, resemblance of it. But really, it doesn't really have much subtext not a political mm-hmm. anyway, and and it was it sort of geared up to really have an interesting conversation there. You know, we have three, we have essentially three American characters in a different country, and then we we, we get present to an underworld there that, that that's a mafia league activist. Mm-hmm. We get some of their culture, uh, specifically with sort of the police stuff. It and feels corruption. very much yes, exactly, and and we've seen we've seen that in in in, in De Palma's US films. We've seen that in in a lot of um, mm-hmm. US based films like that, you know, uh, about, you know, the conversation for one, those, uh, the Anderson tapes, which I read review of the video, which I read. Anderson isn't yeah. De Palma. No, no, no. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying a just, film that questions authoritarian. Just, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Bizarre. I, yeah. But I mean, in, in the context of you're looking at a film <laughs> where it's, it's analyzing a, a, a central issue and then echoing sentiments of like political undertones. This doesn't do that at all. And to be fair, I don't really think it needed either. It's just a very straight-laced thriller. And there's nothing here where you can look at De Palma's work and say, well, that's interesting of how he has a comment about women or a comment about violence. It's just very straightforward here. And I, and I appreciate the fact that he just wanted to get this done. There's, there's no baggage with it at all. 
I quite mm-hmm. enjoyed that actually for, for once. I, I always try to look out for stuff like because I, I always think work work like this is always a it's always a form of political uh, embodiment. But here it just felt like it was just I need I want to make a thriller. And again, it goes mm-hmm. back to the, the I love the enthusiasm behind this, and you can feel that even to the end, even when it gets silly, like you can feel like he was like, oh, this is be a this would be so fun. And I, I I sort of really engaged with that throughout. I was I was I was like really surprised that I didn't seek anything in abundance above what I got, mm-hmm. which for me is very rare. I mean, for, for me, it's for my money, by the way, just I could just put a just put a, put a bow on this of the Palma and like John, because there, there's John Carpenter, there's Hitchcock. And I think in, in Randy's notes when he, that he sent, he mentioned the word giallo, mm-hmm. just saying, when I feel, mm-hmm. and I feel like this is actually the correct way to, to, to look at it because like the Palma elevates Hitchcock, right? He just takes, I mean, I, I, my mnemonic was always like, you know, like, De Palma is a sleazy Hitchcock, Verhoeven is a sleazy De Palma, you know, or something like this, right? <laughs> so Verhoeven is a Hitchcock sleazy squared, okay? Something, like mathematically, it makes sense to me. I think I did mention this on the Showgirls episode or something like this, because it feels like something I, I would have said already. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I don't feel like he he's attempting to do anything with this material. I totally agree that he sees it as a, as like, this would be cool in my movie. Like, I'm a, like, like, I know, I know, like filmmakers are magpies. Like they take shiny things from other people and put them in their nests, you know. But I think like this guy puts these shiny things because they're shiny, not because he wants to, like not because they belong together, not not because there is um there is some kind of a bigger picture that he that he's putting together, right? I think he's just actually in love with Blowout. I think he loves Halloween. I think he loves Mario Bava for instance right i feel because this is kind of like it has bay of blood all over it like the opening there's so yeah like there are so some elements of this of like the like the giallo sort of template of stranger in a foreign land trapped in a criminal intrigue there right there Mm -hmm. right it's Mm -hmm. yes in a way this may be not conscious because brian de palma was a giallo filmmaker i mean was a giallo filmmaker he's no longer one (laughs) because He's not even a no. filmmaker, is it really anymore? <laughs> I don't know what he is now, but then you know, like he like, quietly it, retired, like mm. Blowout, Body Double, Sisters, like these are all Jalo films, right? He's he, like, Obsession. Um, hmm? yeah. These are these are all sort of like these sort of the sleazy Hitchcock films, like the the, the kind of like Dario Argento, Mario Bava would be making just sleazy Hitchcock films, right? So I think this is just accidental because I think at the at the core of it, though, he wants to make a cool film. And I think what's what what he finds cool is the intrigue, as in like the the elevator pitch of this movie, as in like what if, like imagine uh, like this sort of the, the what if scenario. What if you were trapped in a in a building in a country you don't you you can't function in because you don't know the language, and then you witness a murder, and then let's just make it spicy, like it's it's like a film filmmaking situation, and they they make a snuff film like a legend, whatever, right? And then the twist is you can't speak go from there like and i think this was like a genuinely like this of the the thing that would keep him up at night when he was writing this i mean like so I what, see that. yeah so like what, what do you th- what do you think about this of the central intrigue because i think this is what all kind of captivates us like the first 45 minutes is the intrigue right where you see this woman trapped in a building she can't communicate actually the, the fact that she can't communicate saves her lives a few a few times because like a, a person without the um, being mute, who's not mute, would have probably screamed a few times. 
and all she does is that's it. I, I really like that they they kind of add non-diegetic screams in the soundtrack whenever she does that. I think that was a nice little touch mm-hmm. to, to give her voice yeah. uh, in moments of panic. Um, yeah, no, I, I I think honestly all of that stuff is great because it's so self-contained. It feels like it belongs also in the world of you know movie making and the fact that all these people speak a completely different language. It's very I, I love the idea of not having subtitles for any of the Russian. I thought this was just my file, and I was just like, I also like, did as well. Oh, <laughs> I'm just like, mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't remember I had other, the same I, issue, I Jacob, as well. <laughs> There's like a bunch of other movies that do that. Like, I think it's very, it's very clever to to keep you completely as clueless as the characters, like taking for granted that you don't speak Russian do you know, or whatever. Do you know what a movie I thought about uh, while watching this? Nicola, Let's see if you, it's the same. You've seen this on three. Watcher. One, yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Oh, yes. I was thinking about Watcher a lot, actually. But I think Watcher is just, just better in every way. Uh, but also, shit's the better um, at the end. <laughs> the ending of Watcher. But we're not talking about Watcher. Um, it's more consistent. I'll say that. I'll leave it at that. It's a more consistently directed film. Um, but the, the, it's... I don't know. With this film, with, with Mute Witness... I, I have to give immense props. I know Randy mentioned that already, mm-hmm. but um, lead actress Marina Zuzina, mm-hmm. just w- pronouncing her like an Italian, though she's Russian, <laughs> whatever. Uh, but, I think you're pronouncing I, I, it just about correctly. I think the only difference I would have probably Zudina. made... Zudina. Like she would be Zudina or something like that. The accent would be elsewhere, uh, something like probably, this. Probably, yeah. Um, but I think she's, she's amazing. She's genuinely amazing. Um... In terms of screen presence alone, like especially when you compare to Faye Ripley, Ripley who's kind of fine, you know, but Faye Ripley is is an actress doing her job. Do you but know Marina, what Marina is, like? is a is a star. <laughs> like she 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 just you know she's a presence on the screen. I she think has it's it, tremendous casting. Yeah. Fair, like it. in fairness, for Faye Ripley, this was her film debut. By the way, this is her oh, first. Nice. Okay. It, it's, it's her first on-screen presence. And by the way, my note says she looks like Frances McDormand from Alibaba. Yes. <laughs> well, I, wouldn't go, I wouldn't go with the latter, but definitely, yeah. <laughs> I like can, I can like, see that. Like she looks like she's just like the hairstyle. Like she looks like like she's um like Frances McDormand in like Blood Simple. Yeah, 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 from like the mm-hmm. early ones. You know, you can see that actually. You're right. But yeah. meanwhile, Marina Zudina, she had like 25 credits to her name before before she made this movie. And by the you way, you can feel she's fully formed. Yes, she's she's a prof- she's a pro in every sense of the word. So, yeah. So it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, fifteen credits at least in in her filmography. And I'm not even sure whether because nice. in in the sort of the European culture of filmmaking, there's no such thing as Hollywood, there's no such thing as studio system, so actors usually are also stage actors. So I'm pretty sure she has a career on stage before she makes this movie. Meanwhile, now, what's, the, what's the guy's name? The, the Russian police officer. Oh, Christ. Uh... Oleg Yankovsky. He's a guy who was, um, a, he also is like a pro, as in like, he worked with Tarkovsky, for instance. He wasn't in Mirror. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, among other things. So there's this cast of pros, and there are these few people who are absolute nobodies. I think Evan, Evan Richards. I don't know what he's in. That's the director. He was in like Society, um, um, and a couple of other movies I've I've watched. 
Yeah. So I think just it's a very small yeah. cast. Yeah, like not 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 big name actors outside of the mystery. Just. Um. Yeah. So yeah. So anyway. So I I, I barged in. Sorry. I don't know. You don't know. It's it's fine. It's fine. But yeah, no. All of that to say, like I I I think Marina definitely elevates some of the moments that are weaker even in the second half. Um. Mm-hmm. She's the most consistent part of the whole movie. <laughs> I think, that, yeah, I think that's yeah. I think that's that's the reason why I'm completely engaged with the feature because, and this is what makes the Waller really interesting too because we we we've demonstrated that throughout this conversation that the, you know the, there might be restrictions of of um of budget and and perhaps perception of what he wanted to get on screen and what he wasn't capable to do, but he makes some really interesting choices here for not only immersion but the actual cinematic quality that doesn't really add to like flair but it's like small snippets. I think one of them. Of course, he's like the, the no subtitles just for immersion mm-hmm. and to be in that genuine threat of what is going on. Really, really well done, but very simplistic. I also think make it, making the actress mute uh, mm-hmm. is definitely like a, a genre piece within like a homage and Odea, but it's like reverse hush. Yeah, of course, I, I mentioned <laughs> hush in, in some of my notes as well. But it, it's interesting that that he that he does that and then orchestrates the film around it again, like a writing task. And mm-hmm. it's just like that passion that's put through that I constantly keep on getting. The fact that he was like, "Oh, I'd love Alec Guinness to be in this film." I know we'll get to it, but I like the I don't passion. Think he just he says, "I'd love this Alec Guinness to be in his he, film." He, he, I, he I says, don't believe I'd love that, Alec Guinness to be in a film I'm making, and I'm going to write a film around this. That all that <laughs> that to me like sounds like way too good to be true. That whole that whole story to me is like what? That, that, no, that it makes like, sense. I don't. Did, I don't know. Like, I find it strange. I mean, maybe a little bit of a legend. Like some people will just self-mythologize, right? A little bit. Yeah, just and like, I think I, I think it's part of that, isn't and it? then they'll just like perk it up for 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 the journal who's interviewing this first-time director and he asks him how how he got Alec Guinness to do this. So he's gonna just bullshit around because like Alec Guinness is probably on his deathbed by now. Yeah, right? I d- I definitely feel that's partly like the the emphasis to have that conversation, especially when a director debut to get a bit more plaudits. It's like, well, crazy that's happened. Let's write about it. And I think that that's definitely sort of a a PR spin that didn't really get very far. But the one thing mm-hmm. I, I was interested about what you, what you two would think is that obviously I, I went into this with no preconceived ideas of what this is going to be about. Um, I I had felt at least for the first 40 minutes that we were going to sort of spend all our time in this abandoned, um, essentially this like... I wish. Yeah. Exactly. I, yeah. This should have been contained yeah. to this building. And, and you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm like partly um, annoyed by that, but partly sort of appreciative of it because it's so good and it's so engaging. I love the, the production design. The set design is like so murky, especially if I think me and you could watch the same thing. It's like mm-hmm. not particularly great quality. So it had that video aesthetic that just added to the uncomfortability of what was actually happening contextually as well with the snuff aspect of the film. Um, mm-hmm. So again, again, that, that's not necessarily a conscious thing, but it's like, um, it just adds to the experience as well. But um, it was so murky, so vile, so grey, dirty, murky, mucky. It worked really well. So I was kind of shocked that when they took the, took us out of there, because ultimately they, they take us to a place of safety, essentially. We, 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 we have like this tongue-in-cheek, like holding on to her when she's like... She's fallen out of the building, and we, we meet the the other American woman we've met before, and it, we'll I get we'll get to that later because that really annoys me. Um, <laughs> that both no, those characters. We need to go to the hospital. I'm going to hold her down. By the yeah. way, the guy looks like Paul Dano. 
Yes, he does. Yeah, <laughs> there will be, that, yeah, yeah. It looks like Little Miss Sunshine there that poured down, doesn't he as well? Yeah. Um, but I was like, I was like, oh, we're gonna go to like, we're gonna, we're taking something that's very gritty, and we're gonna, we're gonna go to somewhere very safe that's very homely, feels, um, fe- fe- felt like a safe space. So I, I knew straight away during with, with convention that we he was gonna violate that, and it, again, it was like a really interesting idea of how he did it. A very common g- convention, of course. Um, that that whole scene when he's he's like he's taking the the door off it like felt very again de Palmer esque but it but it was interesting how he evolved the, body the, doubles <laughs> yeah 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 that that's what I meant yeah uh, but it was interesting how he evolved the narrative to keep on taking his places but I do think it's a positive and a downfall because I like mm-hmm. it when we get back to the, the the apartment again because it it feels intimate again do you know what I, it I, feels I, like rear window again it feels kind of yes. like sisters. Yeah, oh, definitely sisters, definitely. Yeah, definitely. But it, but and, it then, just... and again, body double, as in, yeah, there's this sort of infiltration. It's just that you don't get to see it from the outside, which would, this would, this is what De Palma or Tarantino would have done if they wanted to kind of ape, ape, ape De Palma in this, in yes. this regard. He would have actually had a shot from the, uh, like a building opposite with no sound. You just see this woman just, just half naked, just running away from this dude, right? Yeah. I, yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> and I think that's, that's the next cinematic evolution that he ne- never never takes but he constantly does when I, I say evolution i'll say ele- uh, to be elevated he, he elevates the narrative to a point where you're like i won't give it i try not to describe it as elevated but we're constantly engaging we're constantly evolving the narrative we're going a b a b a b but he never cinematically elevates itself so we're constantly waiting for that next little snippet that next sequence where we sort of especially when Later on, when they're breaking back into that apartment, and he shoot he shoots the the, the villain, it's like a shock because so we all think they're on the mm-hmm. on the same side, and we've got some sort of subplot with a police officer who may or may not be a, a villain. There's like constant mm-hmm. there, like to then. Cinematic you just like, do you actually care at this point? By the way, for, if, if the police no. officer is in on it or not, exactly. No. <laughs> and again, and again, it's like it's it's a constant battle then because that's where it loses focus for me because it, it it takes what's simplistic in that in that. Um, essentially the, the warehouse abandoned warehouse become a film studio then we go back to the apartment and that feels like two really good bookends and in, in a certain way we've gone into this place that's very large very atmospheric very intense and then we set the, the second half into the into the well the apartment and where it's like a break and the apartment in. kind of looks like the set from the opening yes, it has like even like, the way it's structured yes. it looks the same like, like again, it's almost like imagine like it's it misses this sort of like the so connect the, connect the dots just please anthony yes commit to the yes that's what turn i'm trying the, to get at turn, just turn because the circle just like make sure like yes, is this real like put, is it not like, is it turn, is it like turn just, the key like, could you imagine this this movie on, on, ending with imagine this movie ending with like this this apartment there's this big murder or whatever and then they they kill the the bodies and then someone else cut yes it feels so like built for itself and again know, like right? it, it, pop, it pops with like a, a, a certain color that feels bizarre yeah i like get it feels strangely detached from what we've just seen and and then again you, you get this sense of subconscious like murkiness because it doesn't feel quite real it just feels all teed up to be like that, but I, again, it's about trying to sort of separate from the pastiche. And I think he has no other no other direction but having to split from there and then go somewhere else and try and make it his own. And unfortunately, I think that yeah. try, trying to create your own strand of something else, it doesn't really match. Um, 
but, uh, but I, again, it's like you, I get to the point where I'm so immersed and we, we just like become like, we just like go into like charades towards the middle and, and towards the, the latter half where we get introduced to characters. The Alec Guinness thing, we'll have to talk about that soon, but um, specifically when we get back to that, like to, to get like, um, excuse me, with, with a copper, it just feels mm-hmm. like we're trying to add um, texture to this narrative that doesn't need it. We were so... We're so like plain sailing to, simple, it was fun. Like he's trying to put too many strands out of blowout into it. Now all of a sudden it gets it's like a political intrigue. There's an mm-hmm. ambassador involved in here. Like yeah. what is going on, right? It's like a, a, a disc floppy disc. Yeah, there's a disc Where's the diskette? Where's the and she just writes what diskette? And she's like, Where's this kit? She just <laughs> underlines it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I can imagine oh, it's yeah. like, like watching what? watching it is oh, just she, like the, the prostitute had, a, had the disc right or something right yeah I, I can imagine that you look away for like if you like say if you're watching this and you went for a drink and you kept it on you came back you'd be like where what the fuck is go- where are where <laughs> and, and I don't I don't think that's a particularly positive thing for this film to have in in a case of mm-hmm. where it doesn't okay. feel very structurally sound and and, I, and again I just go back to the point where I just think it's someone who's throwing everything into this because we, you know, we're going to go down to the De Palma route. It needs this and that. And I think taking a step back, particularly looking at this, maybe there's no producer behind this thinking, well, you know, we can do this and we do that. It's a vision, isn't it? And I, and I appreciate vision. And I like, I like that wonderful naivety because it's, it feels like it's just passion. But in that, the, the, there's some very strange aspects of here where it's now we're getting into, like, again, like we're getting to a British Mafia underworld boss played by Alec Guinness. Uh, by the way, like what? Did you notice in the scene where he turns up somewhere, the cars are different. They look like they're from a 1930s movie. Oh yeah, even the way he's dressed. Yeah. The way he's dressed, everything just looks like it's from a different. And then he, they shoot this cameo twice, and they just like reverse it, right? Yeah, but it's, it's the same a, shot. Are you are you are you it's trying to ridiculous. infer this is perhaps B roll footage from something else? No. What I'm trying to, say, I have, a, I have a, I have a, I have a hotter take on this. Oh God! Look, Go I'm on. listening to you, Jack, specifically now. When you think like, look, this movie misses something. There's this some something that's that could have brought this movie together, and I just feel like it's not that it misses something. It has something that doesn't belong. Because okay. if you take this, if you take this movie, like opens with this sort of the uh, the blowout sequence, you know, like the. Um, and then just someone yells cut and we're on the set and there's this guy trying to kind of make this movie in Russia, but you now like it's six o'clock and we, nobody works at six o'clock in Russia, you know? And so, okay. <laughs> so, you know, they, she leaves behind that they shoot a snuff movie. She sees something she doesn't, she's not supposed to, they go after her and this turns into a slasher again, right? Like, and this is where this movie actually peaks, right? Because, and again, like, by the way, I feel this is also budgetary. Like he doesn't have split diopters. He doesn't have things. So he just puts a camera yeah. on a tripod yeah. in, in, in the corner of a, of a corridor and he shoots everything. I think with perfect choreography as an act, she disappears into the far end, right as Paul Dano just. <laughs> turns yes. the corner it's very perfectly staged yeah. very well put together right in in a single shot and then he takes the camera off the tripod you can see someone runs with this camera handheld they don't have a steady cam so when you when you say like oh there's a tracking shot they probably don't have a, a dolly they don't have a they don't have a steady cam they probably have a tripod and a, and a guy with a no sturdy trains. hand yeah 
So I think it's just a very bare bones production. So I feel I can excuse some technicalities, but what I what I think is a problem that this movie has is that if you take all these bits, you know, the the fact that she she's runs away, she okay, she runs away, she sees something she's not supposed to, she, she can't speak. Eventually, they they catch up with her, but then her friends get together, and all of a sudden, there's this twist that they they gaslight these people, thinking, "Oh, you you saw a special effect. We were f- shooting a movie, and this woman went home, <laughs> um, or, or something, right?" So they mm-hmm. and the police officers buy it, and they go away. And this movie could have worked without the sort of political int- intrigue and the police officers go away and then the murderers just go back to murdering, right? And then just this mm-hmm. kind of just go, just turns into the apartment chase, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. the sort of the, the home invasion scene. And this, this is where it could have ended where the, the pair kind of just walks into this apartment and massacres everyone and the police comes in and then that's it, right? The end. But the problem is they have this Alec Guinness scene that they have to fit somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if you remember, if you just imagine this movie, this movie not having this scene, like imagine there's no guy who's like, what about the Reaper? The Reaper this, the Reaper that. Like, <laughs> forget him, forget the yeah. intrigue, forget the um, the the cop who's just like, I don't know what he's like. This movie works without this. Oh, I it? agree. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know what this feels like? This feels like a forty-eight hour film project where the line they have to use is, "Where's the diskette? And the prompt is, you need to have Alec Guinness in one scene. Yes. And so it feels like, you know what, like, we made an entire movie. It's like, we're, what do we do here? Like, we have to fit it somehow. And they just cram it in and force it in because it's in the rules. That's how it feels like. Mm-hmm. But again, just, again Jacob, what you said earlier about, like, it's sort of misgivings where it's not um, it's not cinematically up, up to up to crust, where it has, like, sort of charm to it, but you can tell there's a restriction there. Mm-hmm. I think with, mm-hmm. with with your idea, what you said about it perhaps being a film within a film within a film, I think those little discrepancies actually add more charm and a lot more sort of second viewing to it. So it, so it is it is interesting of how, like, you know, th- those s- sort small on the surface what look like uh, reductive elements because there's, there's a restricted budget also bring then a sort of second wind to it. Like, oh, that's why they did that. So again, I think that's a really interesting idea. But I also agree with you about the Alec Guinness thing, not only um, tonally, but I also think contextually, because what it also does is it takes away from the actual horror of what she's witnessed. Because if mm-hmm. that, if she just walks onto that, and that's what these two are doing. It becomes this is just what they do, just they kill prostitutes. Yes, it, it makes it so much more human and horrifying. But then it because it becomes a larger thing, we sort of lose that human um, attachment to that these two people are murderers. And then it like becomes... You almost feel ed- sorry for them at some point yes. because they're just like, they're at the whim of this... It becomes an entity, Reaper. doesn't it? Yeah, it becomes an entity. It becomes um, a, a corporate thing that we have to then... That, then like, oh, it's it's an underworld mafia. And it loses faces, it loses names. And we focus mm-hmm. on like the, a person who's Alec Guinness or the Reaper. And it, it creates this like complete tonal again this tonal dissonance to what we've just witnessed so i completely mm-hmm. agree with it not only does it feel like it's it's completely out of character for this film but it also becomes an incredibly rich detriment to it all as well because at that point what what we really sort of horrified by the fact that these two people had done that or there's a bigger conspiracy at hand and with the, mm-hmm. with this thing about a conspiracy in a film because it has no face it has no place it has no has no name Ultimately, I find yeah. that really difficult to gravitate towards, especially in a film like this, when it, it just feels out of tune. So already then, I think 
even if I do quite like this, I think I'm all I'm already checking out then because it's adding mm-hmm. again, like you said, so much more strand, so many more layers to a film that I, I, I surprisingly didn't need it. It's so it doesn't need to be so um, layered to to a core because it, it, where it's most effective is where it's most simplistic. And I think if you look it's... at something like Reservoir Dogs, it proves that. That's a, a wonderful debut. That, that, that Six people in a warehouse. That's all it is. L- yeah, look at Bound by the Wachowskis. Perfect. You can even say following Two by women in, a, in, a, in an apartment. Yes. Yeah. And th- this in the... Yeah, this in Joey in the, Pants. Dang it. Yeah, Joey Pants, yeah. <laughs> Icon. Um, but, 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 Joey Pants. Yeah, that's what he calls yes. himself. But the, Again, the, the the fact that it retracts itself from that really immersive um, aesthetic, production design, set design, overall arc, and then just goes and goes and goes, I think it's it's a, it's a hill it can't get back over. And I think once you're over there, we're in a different film. And I think it's again, it's about that part one and part two, and all all well, all four of us have said that tonight. So it's not just a, a personal thing. It feels like it's an objective issue. The film can't sort of get back over itself. It's a hump that it's just. It, 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 it gets itself over, conquers it, and then has no idea what to do. Yeah. Yes. It, 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 in a way, it also feels <laughs> like um, he loses interest in what he's written. Like, I can yeah. totally see this scenario where you have Waller, like, I probably didn't shoot this chronologically, but let's say he did. Just for, done, for, he, for he, argument's he, sake. He shot the Alec Guinness scene a decade before. <laughs> Yes, but anyway, excluding that moment, excluding that moment, like he's written the script by himself, he gets to set and he spends like two weeks just filming the chase and the entire first half, and Mm -hmm. he's loving it, and then he looks at the schedule and he's like, fuck, oh, why did I write all of this? Oh, we paid everyone, oh no, like I have to shoot these scenes. You can feel the dropping quality in that direction as well. I think especially like after the apartment it's going to be the apartment chase, like, you know, when, when one of the two killers gets killed in the bathtub. Like, after that, there's a, comp- like, the quality plummets uh, in everything. There's a, like, there's the a car chase in here. Oof. Oh, we need to, well, but we'll get to- That's a sloppy Nick, car chase. Um, there's a sloppy humor, like, all of that. And I can totally see the, the Waller just being kind of tuned out. Like, Nick, he's uh, done with the movie. He uh, regrets uh, what he's written, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, on, on a personal level, Nick, do, do you find that that that's a thing that affects perhaps you as a as a as a creator within this realm as well as a director? Do you not do, have you ever tried to? Uh, sort of my question is that looking at Wallace's situation here, have you slightly been affected by something like that? Not necessarily falling out of the material, but losing steam for multiple other reasons. Have you ever found yourself trying to combat that issue? Out probably if I was in that situation, but what what one of my professors always recommended, which is the best thing, like whenever I, I try to work on a new project, I always think about what he said because start planning it out. There's a lot of bar- baggage on top of everything, and he always says, "Okay, what do you want to do? Like, what's what do you like about this story, this script, or whatever?" And I'm like, "Okay, I like like Waller. What do you like about this? Oh, I like you know the woman running away, hiding. Okay, just do that." Like okay. start from there and just do that. Like if you do, if if you feel, everything else feels like baggage because it is, it, Back it, to it feels like he just mm-hmm. has to do it. You know, I I have to like there has to be a reason why these guys are doing this. You know, I have to to, to, to stock footage of Alec Guinness shot ten years ago. You know, I have to do all of those things, but it's not something that the story needs. 
Mm-hmm. Like that's that's honestly was shocking to me. It was shocking because I was so into this. You know, when you get to the murder of the of the security guard, like, oh shit, this actually happened. They're burning the school. What? Oh, okay, what's gonna happen next? Alec Guinness. Oh, what? There's mafia here. What? There's cops. Cops going undercover. Cops betraying cops. What? I, who's this guy? I don't care. Oh, we're in the apartment. Cool. 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 This is good. This is good. This is kind of back to the to what we liked earlier. Oh no, and then just drops it. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. I sort of agree with you, like, and I think that perfectly summarizes the like finale, the sequence of the climax, where I think it's actually quite—I don't want to go this far, but I really do think it's quite patronizing to the viewer because we ha- we get what essentially is like <laughs> four, five freakouts, and do, do you know yes. that it's a, it's a staple of the genre as well, and I, I appreciate that. But to do it five times to me is a poor conviction. You either don't know which one to do, or you've put them all in for the sake of it. And I think it's again. It just goes back to either either or. It's ill decision. I mean, the car bomb I was watching. I was like, "What the actual fuck are we doing here now?" Like, I mean, seriously, we've had Wait, the freaking ca- sorry the ca- the car bomb. Ah, car bomb. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I was like, I was. Like, I actually really enjoyed the first um, shootout where she she like she gets shot and they, they see it and they drive away. I was like, he's actually done it. He's actually put. He's he's a uh, he's you know his his vision on on the block there and he's gone for it. And then when it was like the fake out, I was like, oh, okay, that's that that's suppose that's that's pretty good. Then he does it again, and then they they have like this intimate moment, and then he presses a button and it blows up again. You think it's happened again? That's the third fucking time. <laughs> and then you get to the point where like this this driver then drives off, and then he's like, she's like screaming almost because she she's there's a bomb in the car. And he's like smiling at her in this like really weird way, and then realizes, jumps out. Oh, surely she'd get obliterated. Is on like this time. Which is a cool look. stunt, I have to say. It's a cool and but super it's, dangerous but it's, stunt. But it's effectively unneeded, though, even even if it's mm-hmm. like achieved. And then you get to the point where that she, he looks up at her and that they both smile. And I'm like, I don't think you had any idea how you were going to do this before the day started. And I think you've got no idea what you've even done after the day's mm-hmm. ended. I think it feels like just an amalgamation of creative ideas. And, I mean, and it, comes, it comes back to the Alec Guinness thing because also the film ends and you realize Alec Guinness just drove off. Yeah, well, he what, didn't stay around very long, did he? Uh, like, what, what about him? The couple's going to shoot him in the head. But you know, and he's, he's going like, to he, be like, pow. Yeah, just like, it doesn't have to be Alec Guinness. Like, get an old guy, someone, just like, put him, like, I don't know, just in back of the head. So you just f- think it's him and just like, I don't know, just blow his brains out or whatever. And just like, how? We got, we got him or something. No. It's just like it's almost unresolved and roll credits because I feel like this is like I I get it like you like you look at this like Nick you just mentioned like you look at all this all this footage you shot and you're just like what have I done like what what but then again I have this cool <laughs> scene with these squibs do you know how much money we spent on these squibs okay like most it, expensive you, thing in the scene <laughs> yes and, you, and yes and then he goes like I have this Alec Guinness scene that I shot and he just feels like. He doesn't have the the balls and he doesn't have the heart to take it out and say, you know what? I like it. It's my darling, but it doesn't belong in the film. This film could yeah. be simpler and could be better. It's just like, this is just the quality of, of the filmmakers. As it was, the guy's young. He doesn't quite know. He doesn't maybe. So he, so he just keeps everything in. But like, I bet you money, Steve Soderbergh would have, would have looked at this. He goes like, this go, this, this takes out, take this out, take this out, take this, get a few pickup shots somewhere, just make an 80 minute movie out of this or 75 oh, minute yes. out of the movie and it's, oh, and it yes. bangs. No? 
Yeah. I, yeah, I also think there's a passion because of how it's actually shot as well. It's actually quite convincing. It's quite atmospheric. It's quite tense. And Guinness, for, for whatever he says in it, it, it does sort of fight a, a more like a compelling sort of uh, aspect to it. It's a bloated cameo, even if it's that. It's like, it's like a minuscule cameo. But it does feel effective. And I, and I do think that's perhaps what he's struggling with, uh, Jakob, as well. I think the fact that cause it's, it's such a, like, perhaps even to his ego a little bit, which is not a bad thing, him thinking, that's such a, such a good scene. I need to put it in there. And I think that's what he's stretching with it. And just agreed to your point in the fact that even if it is really good and it's exciting and you, you're passionate about it, you have to look through it in, in a bigger, larger of work. And I, I do agree with you. It's so out of touch within the whole film mm-hmm. because again, we're having like comedic instigations as well. Like it's like, it's like, whoa. Like he also misses intimacy in this film as well because because she's she, the actress we, we we follow who's who's mute is quite singular because them t- the other two are like a, a much like coupled in a way well, so she, she's on yeah yeah but but I mean I mean how he blocks the scene they're all they're always coupled together she's all, always on her own until she finds necessarily a partner in the in the Russian cop we'll get there because it really mm-hmm. fucks me off that part but. Might as well get to it now if you want to. Yeah, but the se- the sequence it, when, when they're at the restaurant where it's like she's devastated and he's like eating and they're trying to console her, the the, the emotion there is also Ooh. feels lack with intimacy as well. He's, he can't quite nail that to make because he know, does this thing that flashbacks and forth with the eyes are like int- intimate wise for them just to keep it emotional and emotive and engaging, but not really not in that me scene. Me often the scene is the match cut when they they when they cut into like this of the guy cutting into meat. Oh. Oh God, yes, yeah. Fuck you know, like this is like oh, even that Steve meat, Spielberg, that... you know, like cutting into Jeff Goldblum's yawning, you know, just like no. Yeah, that that meat also didn't look. <laughs> it looked like it was like ten days blue, and like yeah. like Ooh. they just put it on. It was like it was like it was cheaper harsh. to buy. And you know, Evan yeah. Rich is going like it looked like, like, it looked yeah. like horse, pasta salt. Pasta yeah. salt. I'm like <laughs> yeah, it looked it looked like a de- very different animal than steak, didn't it? Oh, fuck you know, yes. Anyway, but, but no, the, yeah, um, it it for me it's gonna it's gonna get returned later on how how the structure of the show works. But for me, I think it's one of the biggest detrimental aspects to it because the sequence where he's he's talking to the the ambassador, or the other cop, and he's like, "I see this a lot. You have to live with it. It's terrible." And like we 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 can tell it's playing in the background. Obviously, we find out it's it's been it's been switched, but um. It's it's like a really good scene where he like he slowly slowly zooms in or he, or he's trolling or whatever he's doing with it I can't quite remember and we have this like small monologue where he's looking away and he can't can't focus it. There's a lot of character there as well, a lot like of, of emotion, a lot more like mm-hmm. immersion. I think that just leaving it like that adds like a second wind to it. But it's like you said about Alec Guinness. Once it's in there, you've sort of got to then like create a narrative. So it's like a forced aspect of then it creating him as a. Yeah, a sidekick. And in the car as well, it's like back and forth. It's just stupid. And then towards the end when it's like it's like it becomes into like the Pink Panther almost where he's your <laughs> isn't there. Like, he's like a triple agent, like who and at that point Are I'm you just, saying that I he looks out. like Russian David Niven? <laughs> I am, yeah. I bit. think I am, yeah. I think I think that I think the, the irony with Alec Guinness there as well and, and that, that era of those 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 creatives, I think it's most definitely a conscious idea to put that in. And have a bit of comedic <laughs> undertones to it, but again, out of touch, out of place, unneeded, excessive. Yeah, it's just, keep it simple, uh, stupid. Yes, right? and I don't just think there's ma- anything wrong with that. I don't think anyone's just, arguing against that either. 
Yeah, start with just rip off blowout for for thirty minutes. Turn this into the sort of gimmick, gimmick sort of chase scene, and turn it in, and then finish on a on a rear window or slash body double gimmick. It's actually Done. surprising how, Done. how and much actually, is in there. Releasing nineteen ninety five when the sort of the Indian revolution is kind of like in full swing, people are kind of craving this kind of shit. Like this collage sort of referencing people from the eighties. This is where this is where it's at. Like this is where where you do it. And he just he bottles it with this because he has like I have the three minutes of Alec Guinness and I can make it six if I reverse it, you know. <laughs> it feel that that just to to be to end my my opinion on Alec Guinness thing because I've just like figured out the 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 way to describe it. It's so it's it feels like at the time a very um, long sighted vision where we've got Alec Guinness excellent, but as soon as the film is made, it's actually quite long. It's it's, it's incredibly long sighted. Sorry, it's short-sighted at the event, eventuality because ultimately that scene um, is born and dies in the exact minute it's on. And it's, and, it, and, and it's so ineffective. It, so it just creates a whole stagnation for the whole creative process for this film because ultimately it then becomes this what this film is about and it takes away so much what we've spoke about positive-wise, the immersion, the atmosphere, the skill that, that's on show occasionally here. It just takes such detrimental vision away from this venture. Uh, it's, it's, for me, I'd love it to be out of the fucking film, to be fair. I really you would. Know, you know what? Uh, let's go. You know what? Anyway, carry on, Jakob. Sure. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> if he had approached Alec Guinness in 1982 or wherever the hell, they're just like, hey, Alec, Sir, Sir Guinness, Mr. Mr. Yes, Sir Alec Guinness. Sorry. <laughs> if he says to him, Alec, he was just like, don't you call me Alec, boy. Yeah, I'm gonna, <laughs> just, I knew you were going to say uh, boy then. I knew you were going to say it. <laughs> uh, you know, but then just, he goes like, want to be in my movie? Oh yeah, I can do a cameo. And you know what? The, the cameo he could have given him would be, take out the prostitute, put Alec Guinness in there. Oh. And do a snuff film with him. It fits with the narrative. And you can still have your Alec Guinness cameo. It's just, I think it will be a mm. bit harder to convince him to get naked for him. I, I also think that you, you're you doing the issue again by you, <laughs> you da- you're dangling, no pun intended here, but you're dangling the carrot. Because, oh, yeah, um, you dang- you're dangling my carrot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, because he's in there for split seconds and he uses them as, well, to be fair, it might work more effectively in, in a way that, I'm, I'm being like quite deadly serious when I say this as well. It would be quite effective because it, it becomes an integral to the plot in a way that, forces it to go on whereas what he's in now is just like a sideline of third party bullshit so i agree with it it's a very strange decision what he he felt in 83 or at least at least 10 years before and of how that would have played out because in 10 years that draft must have been changed six or seven times I mean, he when he shot the Alec Guinness scene, there was no draft. He just shot the cameo. He just thought like, "This will be cool. I'm gonna fit it somewhere." So that he's just he's just this mob boss. He says something like, "Yeah, uh, take care of him" or something like this. That's it. So you can you can write anything ab- around it. I think this is how he shot it. Yeah, it, right? again, it just it just echoes that creative enterprise thing where it's like a creative pro- project. Get a scene like this, like what Nick said, like. It feels like um, an ide- ideology of his own dogma, where it's like we're gonna have this scene from this random thing ten years. We're gonna try fit it in a film and then fit it in, and and um, it does not work. <laughs> it's kind of what Nick uh, said. It's kind of like a contest, you know. Like, no, I I agree. Um, it's like dead when, weird. Like, tr- 
you know, try to kind of just, I don't know, like, it's like a, like a personal challenge. Like how, like, how do I make, I don't know, write a sermon with the word pineapple in it <laughs> or something <laughs> like this, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but then again, sometimes I, I, I don't want to compare myself to a, to an accomplished filmmaker with a bunch do of it. stuff un, uh, under, un, under his do belt it. because he does, he does have a lot of credits and he has a career ish, right? But then I sometimes do myself like feel like, like I'll watch something or I'll just have an idea for something I'd write because I, I'm into writing. That's kind of my, yeah, my yeah. sphere of what I like, right? And I'll like, I'll, come out of the cinema with like a cool analogy in my head, like a metaphor that I was just like, this would be cool if I just could hang this review around it. And you, and I start writing, writing this sort of this piece that where I feel like comparing these, this movie to something or just like finding, and then just say, you, you like, I don't know, you write like 600 words and you just think, you know, I could just do without it and just like start over and just like, just, just forget that I've ever thought this. And then you just, <laughs> you, you delete, you start over and you're like, I like this better now, you know, like, cause you yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. you're artificially constraining yourself. And then this process is just the good old fashioned killing your fucking darlings. You know, it doesn't matter. Like you, you'll have another, met- like Jakob, you'll have another, another metaphor tomorrow. Okay. Cause <laughs> you'll, you'll figure something out. Like you can just get off on this tomorrow. Okay. But, Sometimes it's better for for what you're creating, for the output that you're creating. It's better to keep it simple. Just make, just don't force this thing that you're making into something it shouldn't be. You know, and well, I that, feel that, like this that, is it. Yeah, that feeds into Nick's point when it, it feels like a, a, a director just losing, not to say grasp, but but concentration and, and intrigue for it. Possibly because he's written himself into a place where I have to. He get really wanted to make this, himself. He yeah. really wanted to make a Jalo. <laughs> That's yeah, I, I, I do. don't think he did. I think I think he, this to me is a creative exercise, and in every way I look at it, it's, it's an idea of how to make this film engaging. And I think the ironic is everything we've actually mentioned um, mm-hmm. is a very like it, how do I describe it? It's, it lives within its own world within the film, in, in, in this essence of like we've already split the opening, which it can be taken away and to put in itself analyzed. We're, we're constantly uh, picking out sequences. We, we, all three of us haven't been able to sort of concisely put this together. I don't think the director can either. I think these mm-hmm. are sequences put together to construct a feature film because it's a creative process of that's how he writes. I want I want the De Palma. I want the Alec Guinness. I want the political conspiracy. I want the snuff film. And I think it's yeah. an amalgamation say, of just two, creative Anthony. terror. Pick two. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And it will, it will and, and it's in hindsight, it's a wonderful, a wonderful thing. But there, there has to be a, and I, I, I would, I would, I hate anybody who goes for a directorial debut and gets this wrong because really you only get one good chance of, of stepping yourself to make an impression through the door. But and I think there's always the you have your whole with. life to write your first book. You know, this is what it's, yeah, like you. It's not like he's under pressure to deliver this. Like he spent a decade making this happen, right? So it's not like, oh, yeah, I come on a deadline with a studio. Like, no, like your second film is where you have, like, now I have two years to prove that I'm, I'm more than a fluke. Right? Yeah, could, could, I could get you it. Not, but could you yeah. not argue that perhaps spending so much time on it has led to indifference on it as well? Because if you give yourself necessarily a, a time frame within like a year, you could argue that your 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 passion, your enthusiasm gets you through it. Because you don't really, because you put so much uh, sort of a time limit on it, you know you've got to get to point A to B. 
because this has taken so long, wouldn't you? Would you not sort of entertain the fact mm. that that's where he's gone wayward because he's had so much process of this? It's like it's like him finishing the film every year and adding something else to it. When is it going to end, and how much has it changed from the original idea? I don't think this is necessarily lack of enthusiasm. I think this is lack of conviction, as in oh, undoubtedly, because yeah. because I think it, like when you said, like he spent so much time adding stuff to it, where he he should have actually spent time taking things out of it. You know, I think this is kind of where the problem is. And I feel like this is like, you, you shoot like two and a half hours worth of footage and then you just say like, this movie could have been found in the editing suite with a little bit more balls. As in like, take this out, take that out. You know, like splice it all together, make it fit. If it doesn't fit, go go out on location, just shoot a few pickups, do something, right? Just yes. figure, this, this can be figured out because like all of this sort of, Key scenes happen in interiors anyway. You don't have to go to Russia to do it. <laughs> right? Yes. Right? Yeah, very so, strange. So and, and only the only things that make it Russia are the are the exteriors, right? So I feel there is this it's not that that he's um spent so much time that he kept adding to it and just grew it into this into this behemoth. I think it's just exactly like Nick, you, you put it like right on the like you're right on the nose with this. Like this is perfect. As in like he He's just married to this sort of concept, almost like a personal challenge. I have to make a movie with Alec Guinness in it because I happen to have a, a camera on when Alec Guinness was in a car saying, take care of it, you know, or something, right? So, Am I am I mistaken? Is there a scene here where I, I, I keep on thinking there's some, something else, but it mustn't be because I, I, this is my last film I watched yesterday. Is there a scene where they, they drive through the Kremlin Square in, in this film? Yeah. They do. They they drive through the red square, and also like there's a story like they couldn't have permits or whatever it was called or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so they're surprised. Yeah, there's a scene where they go through the red square. There's there's a few exterior shots that. as well. Yeah, but then, again, but then like... again, why? Yeah, that's this, what I mean. <clears throat> I was right. you know I, I'm not. No, I was going to say I agree with it. It feels like oh, like it just feels like jumping from scenario to scenario with with certain iconography and each one to sort of make it punch and then mm-hmm. yeah, when everything comes together it feels like a clusterfuck of just and like just don't said, get conviction. me wrong it's like i feel like, like it may come across as i'm like really harsh on it i'm really trying to kind of put my foot down and just really just take this movie apart but i actually quite i really like it it's just oh no I, I i feel the same I, i'm currently about i agree with you I, I feel i'm just i think we're doing this because I really quite like this film, but it could have been a it next could have step been a five just, star movie. Yes, and I, th- and I think I think to, to, to honor honor yeah. the film of how much we enjoyed it, I think you have to t- touch upon that. But it's not yeah. it's not so far off from being really really good to me. But everything you've mentioned, as well as Nick, um, it, it is undoubtedly true. Like mm-hmm. you can't argue against it. But I agree with you. I don't want anyone to think that I I, I I'm, I'm dissecting this because I didn't I didn't like it. I quite mm-hmm. enjoyed my time here. I really did. Mm-hmm. But there's no doubt there's something really, I wouldn't say really special, but there's something that's really good here. Just just really not there to be getting out in this edit. I think mm-hmm. even if you went back to the drawing board, you'd have had to really sort of strict everything out. And I think you're right. I think to, to get the film we perhaps want, there's there's a hell of a lot of reshoots to go for, just to make that, that apartment sequence mm-hmm. all the more um, integral. Because like, yeah. 
there is the like the movie we both mentioned with Nick, The Watcher, for instance, right? Is it The Watcher or just Watcher? I'm not. Just sure. Watcher, I think. I think it's just Watcher. Yeah. So you could, you could take exactly the same template. Someone in a foreign land. She doesn't speak the language, and she thinks like there's this guy like looking at her. It's essentially like a rear window situation. Is right? it like, like Hungary? I think. Yeah, they're in Hungary because. Like her husband is just, I don't know, a big hotshot sort of director somewhere. So he, like she's moving there for his career. It's kind of like lost in translation in a way, right? That she's kind of just left to her own devices while her, while her husband is just doing whatever. So she just roams around and she just finds this, this kind of guy just keeps looking at her. Um, so she's being watched, right? But then you can take the same template and turn it into a psychological thriller that works for like 95% of the time and then it's, it kind of suffers the conventional ending anyway because you kind of have to finish somewhere. But but equally, this movie could have committed to the bit of like, well, what there's this gimmick I really want as in like this stranger in a strange land. She doesn't speak the language. She doesn't speak at all, That which makes it a little bit more interesting because you don't know what how... Like there are these sort of technical constraints. Like how is she going to tell... Like she can't call the cops because you know, like all she all she does is like tap and onto the speed. I don't know, yeah. So, but then he doesn't have the conviction to commit to, the, to aping the Palma, for instance, or aping John Carpenter. And just like make mm-hmm. this a, a little bit more overt, overtly meta, overtly uh, self-aware and self-conscious, right? Because if he at the end of the day, he's still. I think the filmmaker really wants this to be a hit and wants this to be like a conventional film. And then he does it on the. On, he has everything. Anything has to have a meaning in here. Like the Alec Guinness has to be like has to be an intrigue. And I think this is a mistake. And also, there's this weird thing. And this is like the last thing I wanted to kind of touch on. Is there is a tonal shift in this movie? Mm-hmm. Right. One way to put it. There yeah, is this, like, that's the very because like, the first half is like super serious, right? This shit's happening. That's and an suppose, understatement. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, incredibly it's, like vicious. Exactly, it's very immersive, very suggestive, and extremely compelling. And all of a sudden, like the, like the minute you cut back to the couple, like when he's uh, doing his chili chili con Clark or whatever he's making, and it's almost like a slapstick because. He's, she's phoning and he's almost burning food. It's like a, like, for all I care, this could be Dan Aykroyd, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Rick Moranis, yeah. Rick, Rick Moranis, yes, thank you. Or like, yeah. What do you guys think about how this movie kind of just makes this sort of turn halfway through and just almost becomes a bit of a comedy? Well, this is the reason earlier I brought up the American and Russian culture difference because I had I had thought at the time, I had not done any research as I watched the film as a blanket statement, that it was from a Russian perspective that perhaps ridiculized um, and made tongue-in-cheek at sort of American cultural aspects and particularly aimed its sights at the couple, which uses for more comic relief. I had, mm-hmm. fe- I had felt that was sort of two-on-two there. I didn't really put anything more against it. But then finding more about Waller and speaking about today, it does feel a very strange thing to do because ultimately it's either a tongue-in-cheek joke for it or it's um, thinking if it's shot in Russia, it's using Russian actors and it's going to be perhaps mainstreamed in, in Russia, then that's a, that's a cultural thing they can do that adds a bit more comedy. Those two things still negate the fact that it's so out of touch with the, 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 the before 
Did I say the, the neighbor? Fuck yes. Me. Yeah, it, it feels like... Um, bizarre. <laughs> it does feel bizarre. It feels like... Um, <laughs> it does feel like a strange... It's like he's generally here as when you do that. It does, it does, um, it does feel like a, a complete tonal shift to a point of... It's actually destructive and distractive to, to the whole yes. experience as well. Again, like what they do with the Russian neighbor, you, you mentioned they're not only using once and twice, but then reaffirm the joke when he comes up to see the tragedy and says, you know, like we use him as like within the set piece. It's like he just he doesn't know when to a, stop. His robe has a Superman logo as well. Yeah. Like he just, cause he, he runs away cause they have a gun. Right, and he just like, why did she stab? And then he just like runs away. And he has a Superman logo in the back. Do you think these Bizarre. are conscious comedic elements in Jacob? Do you think he's trying to make a point there? Then? I think he's trying to make. I think I'm not sure if he's trying to make a point, but I think he's trying to be funny. The so over the covert. I'm. I'm. I, I think there's possibility of the humor working. I think it's effective in the opening scene when you have. You know, they're shooting this slasher and this woman gets stabbed to death and she just has the most outrageous death scene. She ruins the set, right? <laughs> trashes the set. I think that's... that's I, I thought it was actually a very clever way to start the movie. And it takes something we've seen before, like in Blowout and other f- similar films, into a different direction. And I like that. Um, and everything else, <laughs> Andy and, and his wife, like the humor there is atrocious horrendous like just, it's, it's like a free stooges comedy you know there's yeah. they accidentally <laughs> kill one of the russian policemen that's it's like evil by pulling the rug or whatever <laughs> whatever nonsense yeah mm-hmm. and it's not played seriously like again you okay, okay you can play it for laughs but also we're talking about two normal human beings who are in a tra- terrible terrible situation they would be traumatized by that I think you can have this slightly funny moment, but then I want to see them, I don't know, like puke or be completely f- like freaking out that they killed someone. Instead, they're just chill. Mm-hmm. Like Andy starts shooting a gun like nobody's business, just barely missing his targets. Like what's what's happening here? Like th- this is this does not fit with the more grounded uh, first half. I mean, you can make it funny. Like, De Palma or Tarantino or Soderbergh would have made it funny. Like, it's out of sight, the guy just, like, trips, falls down the stairs and bro- blows his brains out accidentally, right? And you, and you go, like, but but we're back but we're back in business, like, soon after. Like, it's just like, no, it's, we're not just turning into a comedy now. No, no, no. Like, yes, just like, yes. This is like a it's brief funny. moment. <laughs> it's funny, but it's not a joke. Yes. It's a fun moment. It's a fun bit, but it's not a joke. See, that, the neighbor downstairs kind of, you know... But using the broom to kind of create some noise, like ah, shut up! It's it's a it's funny the first time, exactly. but like you said, like second, third time you see him, that's a joke. That's a yeah. that's a, that's a running gag I in my slasher mystery. Like Dario Argento has jokes, Mario Bava has jokes. Mm-hmm. Well, as funny parts, but it's always outside of the thriller context. It's never when you're actually supposed to be scared for the characters' lives. Right. That that's yeah. where I think that the opening sequence where she she begins to smash all the set, I think that's where it works so perfectly in comedic timing. Because tonally mm-hmm. it reinforces that this is a film and obviously it reinforces the tone that we're watching something and it's yes, stupid. That's fake. 
Yeah, and that's exactly. not real. It, it reinforces the tone. It also reinforces the fact that we're doing make-believe and these are pretentious actors and we can laugh with them. It's an immersion tactic. It laughs at them. It's really, really work. It works. But it's a joke that works internally and internally for the feature. I mean, when you get to yeah. that sequence about the rug and, and he accidentally shoots a guy in the neck, that, mm-hmm. that, that can work within the film. But the problem with it is executed in a way, like you said, it's funny, but it's a, it's also utilised as a joke. But there's no jokes that have been set up within this film to sort of create that atmosphere. So it, comp- it, it, it feels so really... Yeah, this it is, feels, yeah. This is like blood simple, right? The Coens exactly commit to, this, the, to the small bit. Just make it funny. Like, make viol- violence funny and then move on. Yes. It was the, con- the aftermath, like- the consequence is always disturbing. Like, well, that- you, someone has died. Like, that's the beauty of the Coens. Like, the, what happens is still serious. The way it happens is not. But the actual thing is but that, that's the reason, tragic. I'm pretty sure that's what Chance Tahelski has just come out with and said about why John Wick works so much. Because the fact that when they do these horrifying actions on screen, and, you know, John Wick pulls off these um, very difficult jobs and these kills and how he executes these people in different circumstances. They then sort of like preempt those things with a comedic action to, to again, to reinforce this is a film, this is a, this is a hyper-realized film, um, and we're having fun here. They, in a similar way, I think he's tried to do this, but the problem mm. is, is he reaches so high with the snuff aspect where it's genuinely quite comfortable to watch. And we, we slowly get those snippets of like the bodies being, being chopped up and she's fighting for her life. And then he's almost got her and mm. she's rescued just purely out of luck by a friend. And then we get those sequences in the apartment. And it's just those, it's just that dissonance completely where it's, it mm-hmm. feels like a very strange execution. I can understand the idea behind it. But it's just so perplexing that those things do, that, that would try to be functioning in the same thing. Ah, I mean, I, the, uh, the gas lighting aspect just doesn't even work as as a, as a joke for me. It just works in, on on the level of the primary intrigue, mm-hmm. as in like, yeah, just you almost for a second you start questioning yourself. Like maybe it is a fake sort of thing. Maybe they have been, like you know, maybe this is all special effects. You don't know. And this is where this Hello, movie the actually peaks. Yeah, I love when the guy goes at the director with the knife and just starts <laughs> yeah. stabbing him. That's a this good is bit. exactly in what I call the Die Hard Two moment. I think that's that's how I. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's not bad. Like when John McClane just walks into a into a police precinct and just unloads on, into into the police sergeant to prove a point that these are all blanks while there are armed cops around. I'm just like. <laughs> but it's like, it's like what you balls. were just about to say there though, Nick. It works because it, it, it feels tonally adequate to, yes. to add. It's funny, add, but it's not a joke. Yes, it, 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 lets, it has a bit of lightness to it, but mm-hmm. it's still generally quite scary and comfortable and it reinforces that atmosphere and that tension. Everything else yeah. is what we've mentioned, especially again in that hotel room and not in the hotel room and it's uh, towards the ending as well and in the finale where it's just like just letting off the squibs for the sake of it i'm like you you've just you've just lost slightly lost your way here and it's a shame and you know what surprises me quite a lot of people that i follow like the humor in here like i was reading reviews and there's a lot of i like how it's funny i like the comedy all those things like how and it, 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 it like feels definitely comedy, second yeah. class to it as well, don't you think? It doesn't feel yeah. like a film that's meant to be set out to be funner. 
And if that's the case, I think it actually makes a film far weaker. Because I mean, but it also plays into our, you know, like TV movie way of looking at it because this is the type of movie that someone like this my parents or whoever like watches it <laughs> and it's and it makes it watchable it makes it bearable because see you have moments to laugh laugh at not only laugh with the characters like laugh at the situation yeah i think you're right so it, it creates that, yeah. that that emotional distance and attachment that would be different like you talked about eight millimeter eight millimeters like that's a movie that could have easily had you know like jokes like this to kind of remove yourself from the nastiness of the setting well, it kind of already just, does. The whole film is a joke, to be fair. But that's, but that's yeah. in, the, in, the, in a greater level, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, even you lied Peter to yourself. Peter Like This movie it? needed Peter Stormare yeah. instead of Alec Guinness, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, that, that would be Peter Stormare. He was fit as well, man, back then. <laughs> um, hold on. I'll just say, like, a, a scary film, like a slasher, can be funny, right? I'll just say this yeah. much. Like Within context, Scream is funny. You, Halloween and then it, is funny in bits. Like yeah, yeah. Like I, just for me, like the 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 main sort of point of contact would be like well, something like Scream or like especially it's in the nineties as well. Like it's all meta as well. And then like you, you watch this sort of serial killer who's equally scary as he is clumsy, right? And it makes makes sense, you know, because it it provides you with these brief moments of of relief. Before and then actually makes the 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 eventual ramp up a little bit more scary as well because you just feel like oh fine you, oh no we're back um, in it again. Your comparison to Scream works really well here because Scream is a film very much like this that can reinforce mm-hmm. its sense of humor towards itself, so we can have like the double edged sword where we can laugh with it and at it. And I think here there's an attempt to perhaps do that, but the problem is is that it's not particularly written well enough to be subjected to it's itself. written about Alec, around Alec Guinness. That's yes. why like, Wes Craven I, didn't write Scream around Alec Guinness. <laughs> precisely. And I, and I think that if this film had perhaps had the ideology of, right, every time we get a chance here, let's sort of have have a bit of fun with it, it probably would be a very much different experience. I think it'd probably Kevin be... Kevin Williamson. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be enjoyable, but it'd be a very different experience. I think it's just, it depends of when you watch this, you get so enraptured by something of, of a certain tone and then there's a departure. And again, you can probably say that same thing about Scream, um, especially mm-hmm. the, the 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 opening with Joe Barrymore. And and I I I'd, I'd find that difficult to argue about. But the whole sensibility about Scream is it never lets lets up. It's always constantly reinforcing itself. Here we have like dramatic pauses <laughs> and <laughs> dramatic um, sequences, then conveyed through like a false sense of well a false sense of sense of humor, and it just like falls on its ass. So ultimately, the the whole thing of why it's trying to create sense of humor then doesn't make it funner. So by mm-hmm. by by definition, the thing that it's trying to do to 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 make fun ultimately does a disservice to the whole product by its own creation. And once you get to that point, I don't think you can really rescue the ship there. I think it just goes down. Mm-hmm. I just I I don't know any film that that can that has ever survived that sort of self-annihilation by not being able to elevate itself. I think just, because I think, uh, I don't know what it means. But you know what this movie actually needs? Cheese. <laughs> That's what it needs. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I feel like it, it, it doesn't, like it wants to be funny, but it doesn't want to be funny at its own expense. Like yeah, it's which kind of, f- it feels very yeah, strange to miss the opportunity as well. 
Because it's set up for that it. That is a disgrace. <laughs> do you know who this was, by the way? I, don't, I, don't, I think I do, but I don't want to say. That huh? is a disgrace. I don't have a beginning of this clip. It's just, we import two thirds of our cheese. <laughs> <laughs> That's Liz Truss, ladies and gentlemen. That Excellent. Feels, a pri- former prime minister outlasted by a lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> we sent tea to China. Yorkshire tea. <laughs> Just mental. <laughs> anyway, this movie needs cheese, which we import. Cheese. <laughs> That's Just James cheese. May, isn't it? Yeah. That's James May. For, yeah. uh, I need to find another one that anybody has. Sausage. <laughs> I do, I do agree with you about the cheese thing, but I, I do think to a certain degree it is sort of self-involved in that theme where I think this film thinks it's having fun with itself, with no, the audience. trying to be serious with these like political intrigues. Just make it a meta film and let yell cut at the end, you know? And then this is where it actually, you, this is how you get the cheese. Because all of a sudden, like, none of this is serious, right? I, I think that's a really genius idea to do that. But I think that once once he Thank pulls you. that trigger, and, well, you know, let it fucking go. Bizarre. <laughs> once that idea is executed as such, I think that he then becomes a hack by 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 association with how he's achieved that through the 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 uh, homage and odes that he has. So I think that he's in like catch twenty two by uh-huh. not being able to evolve it. I can just see the headlines, like just what, like reading it at the time, like, oh, um, Waller's trying to like show his De Palma and doesn't doesn't quite achieve it. Granted, I think in 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 um, in the long the long road, I think that's more beneficial because people would then reappropriate. But at the time, if you get shit on like that, like where's your next step? So uh, it's you difficult. What, what would William Friedkin, Friedkin say to that? That's a, di- shit. That's, a that's, exactly. e- that's a different era, though, isn't it? I suppose. I know, but just like this, this is come, comes back to the fact that the guy doesn't necessarily have the the chops or the balls to actually just go and say like, "I don't care what you people think. I love what I made. Okay, this is great. This idea is great. Like, I don't care if people say I'm ripping shit and pe- people off. Like, no, this is amazing. And you know, who gives a shit? Like, who the fuck are you to tell me who, how I do, how do you should make it, a movie? Yeah, he probably he probably has enough content in the way you described it especially if we agreed about it having like two parts right yeah but but especially (laughs) it's the first half is in the warehouse the second half is in the apartment i think it probably would have enough uh, credit to stand on its own and be like self self um, sufficient in that way where people could sort of attack it for being as nick said prestige but i still think there's a a bit there to be like oh this feels wholly original in, in in a certain type of way and 95 like you said is sort of a golden era to get in there and mm-hmm. be then stuck in there because we're talking about like robert rodriguez level el Marachis stuff like and again reservoir dogs we're talking about an era where if you if you hit it there in sundance when, when was scream out 97 right 96 i thought yeah i think scream is 96 yeah when was new nightmare 94 yes yeah perfect timing and then think about this like Oh, they're they're gonna accuse me of ripping off the like you're already ripping off the Palma anyway, and John Carpenter. So you, you're you're saturating your movie with your references, which is fair enough. It's your first movie. You're allowed to have idols. You're allowed to worship at the altars of of, of your gods. Fine, do whatever you want, right? But then again, you think, and then 
it, are you going to elevate it? Yes, there is a way to elevate it because De Palma looks at a, a looks at Alfred Hitchcock through a window, like like Jimmy Stewart, Jimmy Stewart with with a with a set of binoculars. He's observing Al, uh, Alfred Hitchcock and he imagines shit, right? And then imagine mm-hmm. doing the same to De Palma, just like looking through another window, looking at him, looking at Hitchcock, right? And then you you turn this into this Mobius strip, into this sort of circular sort of thing that. That, that's, that's a bit weird by the yelling cut at the end where you, where you leave the audience thinking that this has always been a movie. It's a movie about a movie within a movie. And it, and it makes you think about these different things. It makes you think about being manipulated and it, and it actually becomes meaningful. Like it's not, it doesn't have a political statement to make, but it's artistically a bit more meaningful because all of a sudden like it contextualizes the slasher, contextualizes the gimmick. It makes you rethink certain things. I'm a fucking genius. Like, well, Aunt, dear Anthony Waller, this is how you fix your film. <laughs> I also think to, to be to be just, to be more beneficial. All right, all right, all right. To, to give the film more credit as well, I think he, he would probably get away with a lot of the pushback <clears throat> of those yeah. things about De Palma as well because it was his debut. What, what let's see what he can do next with his voice. So yeah, I, I, I agree. With, I agree with you. Me. Yeah. Well, well, I'll get on. I'm sure I'm can't wait to watch that. But I sort of agree with you. I think that take the hit. Um, see what people like, see what people didn't like, but as long as it's your vision, in a way that you you know you create something that's quite intriguing. Here, it goes from intriguing to going to like the ordinary to the conventional to a point where it just zaps all enthusiasm and energy towards the end. Where yeah. I'm, I, I'm I'm not necessarily asking what's happening. I'm asking like what's happened to to like what we've what the person and the creators have just seen. So I'm I'm going out of content to context while watching it and i'm just thinking this is not what i should be thinking about i should be really engaged and like wow that wow like what's happening next but i'm also questioning the factors of the creative decisions and that's not something you want someone to sort of analyzing midway through the actual film it should be on reflection as it's a very piss poor sort of no fault of his own of course but i do think it's sort of like a negative attribute this film holds Right, I have a feeling like we're just you know, uh, are we reaching the the end of our rope? At the end yes. of our rope, like Idris Elba and Pakrim. Excuse me. Oh yes. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> just, I'm 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 blabbing. Am I? Yeah. You know? But you know, just what do I know? We love it. Anyway, carry on, Jakob. <laughs> no, no, Randy, don't give him any more plaudit, please. Oh, he's yeah. hi- I- he's high off his own supply tonight. We love it. Yes. <laughs> uh, no. Okay. I think it's time. I think it's time we wrapped it. Wrapped this baby. I think we've given this movie way more attention and, in let's just say, intellectual involvement than anybody else ever did. <laughs> I want to say, I don't think Roger Ebert thought for this long about this movie when he was giving I it don't three think, stars. I don't think anybody perhaps has. Which is I think really- Waller himself. This is, like, I, I don't want to just toot my own horn, but like when I die, at least I hope like internet survives and and th- these things, these conversations will, you know, <laughs> somehow just be found. And then you know, like because some of these movies, like we just think like we can talk about th- for three and a half hours about the girlfriend experience. No one ever talked for three and a half hours about the girlfriend <laughs> experience. Like you know, we're funny. That, we talked. We talked for for almost two hours about space rage. Okay. Space rage. 
We talked for two hours about Carnosaur. No one ever did this much about Carnosaur. I didn't even know it was possible. It was. It's like a disease. <laughs> it's a disease, yeah. I know. That is a disgrace. The fact, the fact I know about that thing, now you put it in context, just makes me sort of sad that you play that. What a fucking just find her, find her on YouTube. She's... <laughs> Okay, she says it straight into the camera. It's disconcerting. <laughs> she's probably she's probably on the um, street corner, Liz Truss. I don't know what she's even doing anymore. Now? Oh, no. She's just finishing her list of uh, honours. And then because like every time she adds someone to the list, someone else bails on her. She's like, I'm not going to be added to this list. I don't want to be seen with this woman. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, I think it's time. Final thoughts about Mute Witness? Randy, let's start with you. It's a little lightweight. all right all right all right okay thanks randy yes anyway carry on jacob cheese right nick what's your what's your final (laughs) i can't do this start strong fizzles out uh mute witness is something that's worth watching just one time for the fun of it and for the thing that it could have been yeah Short hell, and sweet. That was short and oh, sweet. Do we have to give ratings weight? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. We're doing, we're doing ratings. And is it an uncut gem? Is it? It's not an uncut gem. And I would give it three out of five. Okie dokie. Just a barely passing grade. Fantastic. Wow. I, we talked you down from the ledge, didn't we? That's <laughs> mm, bad. Jack? Um, I'm going to start off quite a bit. I think this is an uncut gem. Mm-hmm. Um, I would watch this again. I think I probably it would help in a, in a way that I wouldn't get my hopes up knowing what would happen, and I would sort of relax the fact of uh, not having that immersion being let down, that engagement. But I still think this is a really engaging, fun, entertaining, unseen, and underrated vehicle. Um, I, I really do think it's a venture worth watching, just purely to see the highlights of it and to to sort of see where this went wrong and where what, what where the passion is because i still think that passion from the from its opening few minutes probably until it even till its last although i do think it sort of declines in quality like nick said um one half is i think when you when you said about um hardcore uh, last time it was on jacob about mm-hmm. having one half very different to the other i think this is ever so apparent oh. to that that critique as well i think it's very very clear to everybody who watches this um, but I still think there's so much engagement because it's it's a narrative that is constantly and consistently for good and for bad yeah. evolving to a degree where it's like something else is happening. The problem is, and I, and I reiterate this this again and again and again, I just don't think the cinematic quality ele- is ele- elevated beyond the opening sequence. And it's such a detriment because as it, even if it uses it a little motif and a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek reference nothing is quite well executed than that even in the the in the entertainment spectacle um i sort of agree with nick i think i think this is a is a solid three i don't think i could give it four because of the waywardness towards the end but i do think that i've really quite enjoyed watching this because it feels like an echo of something i really enjoy and I think even getting sort of half-assed versions of these um, are often engulfed with something at least impressive, and especially that opening. 
but I also think it travels a little bit for forth to maybe the the forty nine fifty five minute mark for me, where I was like, oh wow, this is really good. Uh, to a point where I was like, where what could go wrong? Exactly uh, at this point, yeah. is it, this is exactly when it goes wrong. Yes, exactly. Like, it was this like is a, so good. What yeah, could possibly like, go wrong? Yeah, Just three I, seconds later, yeah, it <laughs> manifested itself when I said it. Um, but no, I think this is an uncut gem. This is a really good pick to sort of look at. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot here that's really engaging, and there's a lot here that's like, "Ooh, this is this is this is very interesting," and not perhaps in a good way. So it's an uncut gem. It's definitely a strong three stars, and I don't want that to be a detriment. I still would watch this if anyone was out there, um, but you'd you'd have to enjoy the genre, the thriller. I think people going into this blind. Mm-hmm. would be like, what is this? And then to get that tonal indifference would really struggle. So perhaps watch at your own behest, mm-hmm. um, depending on what genre you like. But it's, it's, it's interesting that this isn't perhaps seen n- nearer to its contemporaries that other films are, to the degree where they're, they're quite fashionable. This, this, this sort of needs its day in the sun. And I, I do think we mentioned it earlier, but this does need an Arrow video release. It's actually scandalous that it doesn't have one, and we've get we've know. got like the Wolf of Wall Street having one. Some <laughs> someone needs to get on this. Arrow one hundred one eighty eight. Some some of these sort of boutique labels should get on this. It can't it's imagine a cold it being film ex- collection yeah. sort of special. I can't imagine it being an expensive yes. um, acquisition either. Oh, probably someone will give it to you for free. Perhaps. Anyway, but you know, I, I I totally agree. You know, and by the way, you know, hold on. This conversation has has been great. You know, and it's a little lightweight. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, do you know, Jacob, you've really rinsed that fucking soundboard today. You've done a really good job at rinsing it, like to a degree where it's like I didn't think you could do it anymore. Seamless. Yeah. I know, right? It's just, it's, I, I was just saying to myself, like, oh, Randy's not going to be here today. Like, what am I going to do? And I, yesterday I just sat down and I, and I spliced a f- like, I just like found, they're all from like the hardcore episode. Because <laughs> 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 I, because like after a while I, I, I delete the uh, editing files because they take a shit ton of space. Like each ed- like Audacity file takes like six gigs or something like this. So I've like, if you have like a hundred episodes, this is like your hard drive is just this. <laughs> so you know, uh, yeah. So I just remove them, and I'm just like, okay, I just quickly splice these things in. So I don't know. It, it kind of felt fun. Just, this will be like the second best thing. To, like if Randy's away, like I can just like do like a Randy bot, and maybe I'll just think like maybe oh, I should Randy ask bot. my ask ask my colleagues at work. You know, like if I just produce enough audio, could I actually just train an AI model to just speak oh, in, vo- in Randy's voice. <laughs> it's got dark, doesn't it? Uh, it would be great. Just like type whatever you want, and maybe just Randy will tell you. It would be the best. Um, God. But yeah, I will say this. For me, it's like a three and a half out of five on an average because like it starts wow. as a five star film and it just kind of slowly degrades. Uh, like it, it keeps us at like a five to four and a half all the way until um, the Die Hard two moment, and then from there, just like degrades and degrades and then it hits a one star level at the very end so Oof. i think if you just like out, like take the area area under the curve it's like a three and a half okay so, so 
So that's where I'm sitting with, but I totally think it's an uncut gem. It's a, it's a TV movie. And maybe like, like you could see this as a five star film if you actually start watching it and because it's on TV at like 11 PM at film four or whatever. And you fall, fall asleep halfway through. <laughs> yeah. Are you watching a different <laughs> film? And you, but then again, like if you actually do this and you, then you realize, wow, like we don't need half this crap. But, but I feel like because it's such a flawed movie, then you feel like it has these obvious flaws. It's obvious sort of fixable errors, right? It's an, it's totally an uncut gem. Like you feel like this is a movie that's, you know, like it's a flawed diamond. Like, like it's still with all these issues, it's still a watchable experience. But fine. Like the last 15 minutes, you actually really feel like I, I, I'm done here. Like I, I think we can, we can, we can go home now, dad, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah. No, it, it, that... it personifies what, what what you do here as well. This film, it's a perfect example. Yeah, and then just like trying to kind of dissect it so hard. Like Anthony Waller, if he listens to this, I hope he he doesn't listen to this. Or maybe you know, you know, like hi Anthony, um, <clears throat> really like the movie. I, I I feel like you need to get over your Alec Guinness thing. Like some some pieces of footage could have just like you know this could have been a good even better story if you if like if you made a movie without this footage and then like uh, on your press tour you, you'd say like i had this alec guinness scene that i cut out of it but you know like you don't have anyone who's who's known in here i know but i don't care it's like william friedkin sort of like dick on a table like who gives a shit <laughs> like, <I didn't, laughs> yeah just he like going full on terence malick just like get a get a scene with alec guinness and cut it out of the film <laughs> just you know anyway I I like the film. It's fun until it isn't. Uh, certain things could really go, but overall, it's I, I don't know. It's a very enjoyable experience. Like if cable is a thing, this is exactly the movie. Like you you channel surf, you find it, you watch it till the end, and then you regret the ending. And because I know we've done it. Top threes. I I don't have a I don't have a Randy top three, which is you bizarre. Know. <laughs> it's, it's uh, probably it's not shame. Wrong. What a waste. <laughs> So you know, uh, Nick, you'll have to you'll have to start then. So we have to go we'll go with top threes and bottom threes without Randy. So you know, Nick, number uh, it's it's not in numbered per se, like it's not a ranked list, but you know, the murder slash snuff film sequence, excellent, excellently made. Um, the fake murder of the director, you know, when they're trying to prove it, that everything was fake. I think that moment was actually very well done. Probably the highlight in terms of comedy in this film. Uh, where it's shocking, but also you get it. It's like, oh yeah, they're proving that it's all it's all fake. It's all it's all movie movie prop stuff. Um, but number three is during the apartment chase attack, whatever. There's a shining reference where she hides herself in the bathroom, and they're like trying to get in, and they start like punching the door, and there's a hand, and she hits the hand like with a Donald Duck. With a Donald Duck. So it's like a, I don't know what it is. Did she? Is it like a brush? It was like yeah, that's particularly harmful, you know. But that that was fun. But no, like the entire sequence is very strong, and the fact that, like she's jumping through windows and stuff, like it feels dangerous. It feels like there's an actual sense of threat there, and that's where the movie like peaks. Like right after that, it's all downhill, mm-hmm. which is a shame. Uh, but it has a good lasting impression, you know. Like what do you think bits. about this moment uh, where she's trying to attract attention of the neighbor of the, of the peeping tom neighbor, and she goes like, 
that's written down trying to flush neighbor for attention it's one of the notes <laughs> in the best part <laughs> it's just like reverse rear window it's just like now you're not, of all the times in the world you're not looking now <laughs> um yeah. anyway that feels like something they could have used a setup you know Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Maybe he's like could... spying at her earlier, and then you don't. And then when she when she needs him, he's not looking. He's but just then... a random guy on the other side of the road. Like the watcher, because he's he's looking at a different neighbor now. Anyway, Jack, oh, is this bottom three? No, tops. Top, top. Um, good this is, is not this. Yeah, this is not. Yeah, it has to be, doesn't it? Just like the film, good and the bad. Um, See, start with the goodies and then just yeah. go downhill from there. Uh, like Nick, this is, these are in no particular order. I don't want anyone to think that anything's over or above anything else. But I'm just going to add the top three things because there's a few things I haven't actually spoken about I left here. Um, the one thing I did I did speak about throughout, I really like the opening hour production and set design. It's so eerie and comfortable, especially with the video aesthetic that's sort mm-hmm. of unconsciously crafted of the way we, we watch this film. Really uh, sharpened the mood. Do you think it has here. like a higher frame rate, like twenty nine frames a second or something like that? That I, kind of well, makes it look like a BBC special. Perhaps the way we watched it, maybe I don't know. I think there's a, there's a, there's a lot to be to to watch just on a Blu-ray to see the crisp of it. I think sadly would probably mark I would mark it down because of how detrimental it would look. So I think I, ma- I don't yeah. think I'd watch this again purposely for that. Um, I haven't really spoke about it because I think Nick nailed it, but I think the Marina Zadina. Because that's my Yorkshire accent of Russian. Um, she's she's head and uh, above and beyond every single person in this film. How she does her her emotive um, uh, craft here is exceptional because she she's so restricted in having to sort of showcase that, but she's ever so effective at it, especially in it with her use of eyes. It's just. It, it, it's a it's a very difficult craft to nail that and it not look exaggerated and generally find an immersion there um and and she 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 does have this sort of tongue-in-cheek aspect of, of her when she she talks to the, the two at the restaurant and stuff and and how she also does the thing at the window I thought was quite fun <laughs> but but it was like a, it was funny it wasn't a joke though it was like it felt weirdly authentic but but because it was her as well because there's sort of like this this really sort of um lovable factor towards her because you you know what she's seen and you know she's she's uh, she's hurt by it it just again evolved into something else um and lastly i, I do think the the overall aspect of her being mute as an exercise of writing here and having to force this film to be written around that is really interesting and immersive, not necessarily just as as watching it on screen how it how it evolves, but especially how it's written as so because he, Waller then has to create an atmosphere surrounding it, has to create a reaction, he has to create this and that against it because it's so integral. And I think it really enriches the experience. It's not particularly made more so apparent in the latter half because there's a tonal thing. But specifically in the in the uh, warehouse and at the apartment, it's really executed for terror. Mm-hmm. Really good. So they they've been my top three. Cool. I've got. Um, okay. Uh, no, no honorable mentions. Everyone's keeping it to three today. I'm going to keep it to three. <gasps> yes. So. Proud of you. I know it's hard, right? Um, 
that there's this, I, I mentioned this already that wide angle sort of scene camera on a tripod she's she's running away into the into the far corner of the of the of the corridor while Paul Dano's just about to enter the scene and it's staged so tightly wonderful and it's this is the epitome of the sort of Hitchcockian De Palma-esque suspense where you're just watching at this thing like oh my god oh my god he's gonna find it he's gonna find it oh and you know subconsciously that like the, the genre dictates that she should hide in time but it it's effective fantastic number two <clears throat> in the same sequence there is a moment where the, the camera just picks up in a hand, handheld sort of chase when they actually clue into her existence in the in the room and it almost looks like a Kieślowski film like it's just this weird sort of like wide angle camera on on someone's shoulder just looks so compelling to me I don't know what it is it's just my upbringing that I just grew up with that kind of filmmaking <laughs> a little bit like with something like an Andre Vida film I don't know it's just fantastic and the third one we all mentioned this already the uh, Die Hard 2 moment the, the sort of, <laughs> when the guy kind of turns around and stabs the director and you just and you're just what's happening <laughs> it's just fantastic and this this is the moment where this movie could have made a made a decisive turn towards self-awareness a meta self-awareness and they and it shits the bed a little bit in this regard because there's an Alec Guinness scene coming up but anyway um but yeah and this the whole idea this the surprise of this scene wonderful it's a one it's a beautiful piece of genre filmmaking this scene this scene alone is great fantastic bottoms cheese number three the lack of cheese um andy just as a character as he has no oh. reason to be there just, oh just just take him take him out the acting the writing with him just, just take him out we don't need him um rick moranis from alibaba alibaba yes <laughs> Ali, <laughs> aliexpress yeah from aliexpress <laughs> and paul dana from it. wish <laughs> number two something that bugged me a little bit I, that made the movie feel cheap and it got worse towards the end but I don't think the sound design is particularly good in here um, especially Did you since get the Jallo sort of like oh, I can excuse this because they don't have money it's Jallo nah no? man nah like the, 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 there's this entire part during the, the, the chase where like she keeps bumping into things you hear the echo like even even the first time when she's running away from the murder and she literally like bumps into the the, the freaking coat rack and then the and the, the this cat flies off like they barely react well. it's they she's like five meters away from the killers and they turn around like oh maybe that was far off into this i don't know maybe it's nothing and he looks like just, just stay here <laughs> yeah yeah and that happens like multiple times like she keeps making incredibly noisy actions that and you hear the noise but they don't react at all that was very annoying to me which again that's why the opening i wouldn't say it's a five out of five it's the opening is a four out of five because those little yes. things get Thank you, Randy. I'm glad you agree with me. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. And number three, it's a tie with Ali Guinness. Just his own existence doesn't deserve to be there. But also the dubbing with the KGB detective, whatever, uh, what's the actor's, Oleg Yankovsky's, the dubbing there is pretty bad. 
I'm pretty, pretty say, Your bad. English is pretty good. No, it's not. It's like, it's, it's, that's what he says in Russian. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a shame. It's a shame. Okay. All right. Uh, hold on. All right. All right. All right. Jack. Bizarre. Um, again, not in any specific order. I think one that we've, we've made mention quite a few times, the Russian police officer, is he, isn't he a double agent or whatever he is? Um, I found it tedious. I didn't find it immersive. I, I found it quite annoying, especially when they go past the police station and the tension is like written down on paper. I'm like, mm-hmm. that That could have been a really interesting, engaging, um, intense scene. And it's just not executed in any manner that evokes that responsibility. Um, I've mentioned this briefly. I, I think actually I mentioned this quite considerably, but um, I just, the idea of the car bombing is like so excessively over stated it doesn't need to be in that all there's about four fake outs and then they just have to put the car bomb in it and then the execution of him like getting out and smiling on the tarmac as if like what 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 what? (laughs) just killed him yeah it's ridiculous um and my number one has changed um and after speaking about it with the both of you i can't really sort of make an excuse of it but the both american characters are so excessively obtuse, um, unfunny, <laughs> yes. excessive, um, stereotypical, stereotypical um, and, and genuinely annoying that when they're on screen, it feels like an indictment of who they are without creating any sort of character, which I think is just quite um, pessimistic of the film as well because the film is so dark on other elements, specifically in the first half, to then make them two the comedic entity it feels like it's trying to balance itself out but fails so much to elevate those two characters in any way to be engaging and the whole sequence in the apartment is just so off kilter and off key it feels like a completely different director came and went let's do it this way today and perhaps that was the the uh the the idea of, of shooting that but it just feels excessively forced with their comedic um entity and neither of them are funner neither of them are engaging and neither of them have got charisma. So it's just like watching two corpses corpse. Um, and, and it's weird because like out of everything, it creates the, the like sort of essential characters where I'm just like, what have, why have you done this? Why have you not had them as third parties? You've tried to do it with everyone else and then you've brought them together, but you've created so much time and effort to sort of curate them. You have to then indulge in them. And again, it's just about that ridiculous nature because once he's involved and once he's on target, he has to then convict. And for me, it's just, it's just so apparently like unneeded, and it just it does derail the the fun for me, the engagement. Every time they're on, and it's so forced, like having to try and find entertainment value there is so tough. It mm-hmm. really is. I'd be surprised if any fucker watched this and went, "Those are my two favorite characters." Well, like, excuse me, there's gotta be one. Excuse me, but not in my world. All right, all right, all right. (laughs) You're goddamn right, Randa. And my name's Randy. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Twice in a row. Facts. No, there's got to be at least one who goes like, these these people are amazing. Laugh out loud funny. Ha, ha, ha. It'd be like a a letterbox review and it'd be like, "Um, these two are my personality. Fuck off. Or just like, was like, Chili Con Clark lives rent free in my head. 
Fuck yeah. off. If anyone's like that, yes. don't contact me. I don't yeah, want anyone Jesus. like that in my life. What a... Anyway, so on my list, I've got the match cut to the what a, what clearly is a rancid piece of meat. What a <laughs> shot. Yeah. And he goes like, has the audacity, can you pass the salt? I mean, like, the salt's right there, by the way. Like, just reach. Do it yourself. Do it yourself, dickhead. Um, no, okay. But for me, this just like, this, the match cut is just like an epitomizing the idea that you all, you kind of just dissipate into a scene with these two characters and they do quite annoy me. So, so there's that. Another one. This is something that really sometimes annoys me to a, to a level that I cannot comprehend. And the only way I can dress it into words is what I kind of just, like in my head, it's kind of like, um, like, do you ha- sometimes have dreams about like fighting with someone or trying to run? Yes. Right? And then All the you time. feel like it's in sm- slow motion or you're just excessively weak and and it's all, it's frustrating, right? Sweetheart, so, I have them all the time. It's, it's, yeah. it's a bane of my existence. So in some films, I find action sequences uh, put me in that kind of state. Like, like I just feel like, why is it so slow? The car chase in here is just, he pulls up. The guy's just running in front. He catches up to it, but he just doesn't quite get him, get it in time to open the door. And just like, this is so irrational because he has all the time in the world to open the fucking door and then take Oleg Yankovsky out and beat him to a pulp. Okay. But it just feels like it's just artificially slowed down. I don't know how or why this just, just annoys me. Like you some know, films have this, have this, like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves had these sort of action scenes where just they just annoy me because they just feel like, why is this so slow? I've never put those two and two together, but the fact that you've actually, that's such a, a really good example of how this film feels at times. Like a weird dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At, at, at the beginning, it looks, it feels like a great dream, but then again, you're just, just like, wow. What well, depending dreams? on who you are. Like, yeah, if, yeah. If you're like dreaming about this from the perspective of the prostitute that gets stabbed, then like, well, I think you're waking up halfway through this thing. But you know, anyway. Yep. Number one, and this is something that I've spoken about at length. Alec Guinness, just in general, just <laughs> take him out. Just take the, these scenes out, both of them. The fact that they, they just they just thought, oh, let's reverse this. Just like a mirror image of, of the scene and he says says the same thing. Like, look how clever we are because we're using this footage. Like, no one needs this. Kill your dar- darlings, Anthony. And the reason you didn't kill your darlings is why you don't have a career. Oh, God. Sorry. No, you, like, I love you. <laughs> Just, Jesus. Uh, no. Uh, in all fairness, like, this is... The, the problem with this movie is the fact that the guy should, shoots, like, I don't know, a few minutes of footage with Alec Guinness and then just can't get past the fact that this is some kind of production value and then just, like, it's it belongs in the in the drawer, okay? All right, oh. all right, all right. I'm just going to say, I don't disagree. I think, you, I think you're right. I, yeah, I don't know. It just bothers me on so many levels. But anyway, we made it. This movie, you can't watch it, okay? Mute Witness is unavailable anywhere. Like, you have to really try. Maybe secondhand DVD shops, you'll be able to find a copy. It's very difficult. You have to resort to <laughs> clandestine means. 
I suppose to get get a, get a hold of because it's re- realistically just an uncut gem in this regard, right? Very difficult to get a hold of. So arrow, whoever, <laughs> screen factory, someone, get on this. I feel get like we've to- we've been quite open how how we've accessed this film, but there's someone in this group chat and this call who hasn't sort of acknowledged that. I'd like to know how they watched it. Who me? Yes. You know, life finds a way. <laughs> bizarre. That's what I'll say. Just bizarre. <laughs> yeah. How bizarre. Plead the fifth, okay? <laughs> um, I anyway. don't have to tell you anything. Yeah. Fair Without fair. my lawyer present. No, it, it's honestly very difficult to find. So th- there's that. So you're on your own, hombre. <clears throat> so anyway. We've done it. I think we've given this movie like way more time than anybody ever did. So let's just close the proceedings, you know. And my name's Randy. Nick, where can we find you on social media? Twitter and Instagram. Well, sorry, X and Instagram at MickeyGrow97. There you can find my my reviews, my, my posts, not my tweets, my posts on movies and stuff. And also links to my short films and videos on YouTube and Vimeo. Awesome. Jack, where can we find you? I, I can't, I'm not calling it that. I can't do it. I can't, honestly, I just can't do it to myself. Um, I'm, I'm on Twitter. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd with the username at JetLooshab, and you can find me writing on Clapper, a little, little website that might be well known to some people. Exactly. Uh, right, and you can find me, talk about film on X. Hey, it feels <laughs> weird to it. say it. He it said it. It's it's so odd. Like it's and yeah, it's like oh, they replace tweets with posts. What's the other piece of shit you're on? That, that you're is a disgrace. Huh? What was the other piece of shit that you're on the other day? You're talking about? Oh yeah, I'm on. I have like four followers on Threads. That's a thread. Yakub yeah. Flash on, like, on threads, but I think I'll be closing down shop and everyone's leaving. Yeah, they're both not doing particularly well, are they? No, it's just like, in all fairness, I just started to think, like, what if I just deleted my social media? Would anyone care? Probably won't. And I think I'll feel healthier. It's just like, the only thing would be, I'll be losing touch with a bunch of people, you included as well. So it's just like, okay. Well, I like the contrarian takes. I like reading about them. Yeah, but you're, you're the only one. No, there's not. There's multiple people. So like I can that. always send you links. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, find me so there. Send me links. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, find me there. Jakub Flash on Letterbox, FlashOnFilm.com, and also at at the <sighs> fucking hell every time. Anyway, carry on, Jakub. Okay. <laughs> Rinse that. At yeah. Uh, again. Sorry? Yes. Okay. At Uncut Gems Pod everywhere. Also on X. <laughs> um, UncutGemsPodcast.com Patreon.com slash Uncut Gems Pod which is three bucks a month. Go and listen. Find us Find us there. Support the show. And there's like 60 odd podcasts now in there. So like it's really like, you know, you're winning at life if you if you, if you you support the show. Anyway. Coffee.com slash uncut is where you can you can leave us a one-off donation and also Spotify, Apple, wherever you feel like it, just leave us a star rating or, or a review. 
and or I don't know if you feel spicy just leave write words I don't know so do that you can support us in any way shape or form it's fine it's great tell your friends tell your moms tell your dads don't tell your mom uh yeah and just keep listening meanwhile because well because well, next week what are we doing next week like this is why I need Randy for these things uh next week we're touching base with Steve Soderbergh and I think if I forgive, forgive me if I get the order right I think behind the candelabra we're doing on the main show and then on the Patreon as a tie-in we're going to be doing side effects so I think this is coming and then hold on I'm going to come oh, I'm going to come sorry <laughs> this is coming um and then after that, you know, like the team, the theme for the next for next for the next month is kind of related to my birthday because my birthday is in September, so I'm taking over for a month, and this is gonna be Arnold themed. So just oh my god, again, get Glorious. ready! It's gonna be amazing. Okay, I can't possibly wait. I've acquired yeah, Blu-rays already. Like look, like I've already I've, I'm already bombed up on some of them. Look at that! Ta-da! So, wow, know. one of them is a piece of shit, the one I haven't seen. I think you, I'm on I'm, I'm on Red Heat as well. I, I've never seen that, and I'm, I'm really into Walter Hill as well, so I'm really looking look, forward to that. None of them are great, <laughs> but equally, they all are great. Okay? I know uh, it's bizarre, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, stay tuned until next week. Soderbergh's happening next week, and then just keep listening, because next month is we're, we're doing an Arnold takeover. So keep I, listening, you know. Uh, you, just be there for all us. All right, okay? all right, all right. I'm gonna come. See you later. Cheese. <laughs>